Warning, the Dub Talk podcast contains language and content that may not be suitable for younger audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Also, a strong spoiler warning is inbound for today. If you have not seen the series Rumpel Keaton Game of Laplace, but intend on continuing this episode of the podcast anyway, you will hear major spoilers for the entire series. Honestly, your best bet is to come back once you've had the chance to see the entire show. And finally, it's okay to have these strange feelings, Hashiba, for your friend, since he looks good in a dress and all. It's all a part of growing up, but I strongly suggest that you don't pursue those feelings because, let's face it, your friend's kind of nuts. Just some friendly advice. Anyway, enjoy the episode. Hello, one and all, and welcome to Dub Talk, the podcast where a group of young detectives solve the mystery of the latest English dub announcement or home video release. My name is Stephanie, and tonight I am joined by my fellow investigators, Jet, Gigi, and Andrew. Greetings, one and all. What it do? I don't know. What didn't you do? What did you do, Gigi? We're not here to solve the mystery of my life. We're here to solve some other mysteries. And I'm not here to talk about boys this time, so that should be fun. (laughs) Yay! Well, we're going to be talking about a lot of boys tonight. Some with interesting undertones, which you will probably get a kick out of. Oh, man. Anyways, tonight we're going to be delving into the mind of one of the most influential writers of Japan and tackle the love letter that was created for the anniversary of his passing, Rampo Kitan, Game of Laplace. If you are unfamiliar with this series, here is a quick little summary. The story takes place at a certain middle school where several murder cases take place. Kobayashi, a boy who goes to this school, meets genius detective Akachi who comes to the school to investigate. Kobayashi takes an interest in Akachi, and in spite of his friend Hashiba's worries, he volunteers to be Akachi's assistant. Now, we're going to be going through the main casting of the series, give any predictions we might have come up with, uh, give our thoughts on the casting, and review the entire dub of this series. (laughs) So, Well, actually, it's pronounced Laplace. Shut the fuck up, Andrew. <laughs> you mean it's not Laplace, like a horrible lap dance? I'm going to call it Laplace regardless, so fuck all y'all. Um, <laughs> so, because the, so because we are going to be doing an actual review of the entire dub of the series, this is your final warning. If you do not wish to be spoiled for Rambo Kitan, leave now, watch the show, and come back later. Are we good? Good? Okay. Yes, Captain. Aye, aye. Aye, aye. I can't believe it was Bruce Willis all along. (laughs) God damn it. On that note, I guess we're ready to dive in. So let's start with the ADR director and the script writers, because there's actually multiples of this. Um, Did anyone attempt to make predictions for this show at all i'm just curious i do not have a prediction list for this series so it's going to be rather quick tonight i made two but they are only for uh some of the junior high kids that we'll get to at the end that was it well fuck i'm the only one who actually attempted shit (laughs) 
That's just going to make this easier for you to edit. Why are you I mean, complaining? I could watch it in Japanese because it's not on the Funimation Roku channel. Ah. Mm, thanks, Funimation Help. You're not helping. <laughs> oh, oh, jeez. Don't start. Um, I actually tried making <laughs> predictions when the show was airing at the time. Uh, back a couple years ago now. So I tried making predictions for this. Um, my predictions for director and writer. Writer-wise, considering the content of the show, uh, and I figured a more tried-and-true faithful adaptation would work, I had both Bonnie Clunkenbeard and Patrick Seitz for this reason. And then my ADR director. There's an interesting story with this. So, this individual, we know him very well for taking on the very, very big projects from Funimation. But what some people may not know is he's done smaller stuff and of the horror mystery kind of more subtle variety specifically i'm referring to shiki and mushishi so i wanted to see this director come back for rumpo kitan uh, especially after shiki so i actually predicted mr mike mcfarland as the director <laughs> huh. because mike mcfarland had to be here somewhere well, again, I enjoyed the majority of the dub for Shiki, and the show when I watched it originally gave me a lot of Shiki vibes, and when we get to Akachi, this is going to be a funny story to tell. Um, but that's why I really wanted to see Mike here. I wanted to see him direct more horror mystery stuff, because you don't often get to see him do that. But he is on Trickster right now. <laughs> <laughs> he is doing a Rompo Keton show, just not the one you wanted or expected. Okay, yeah, just not this one. I would have wanted him on this one. I don't think I would have wanted him on Trickster. What exactly? Is what genre really... is Trickster? Actually, is anyone even watching that show at this point? I mean, somebody <laughs> has to be. <laughs> I know I am. I don't know if Jamal is still watching it, but I know I am. Hardy There's probably still a... watching it because he doesn't drop anything, <laughs> even handshakers. There was a span of time for like three, two, like three, maybe four weeks or so, where episode thirteen of the dub did not come out. <laughs> so right now the actual and you were the only one who was sad. <laughs> and right now the dub is on like. For, like 15, 16. I'm like, what is going on here? <laughs> anyway, but regardless. So, obviously, that did not happen. So, I'm going to start with the scriptwriters. We have three scriptwriters. One of which we've actually talked about in a previous episode because this is one of the few writing credits she has, and that's Jessica Kavanaugh. Um, the other two, we have Alex Munez and Miss Tia Ballard. Uh, and as for our director, oh boy, um, so, Gigi, do you remember Sadness Fiesta? Yeah. Do you remember who directed Sadness Fiesta? Oh, oh no, I mean, I mean, okay, yes, I, yeah, I, can I, it was Mr. Jerry Jewell. Yep, and Jerry is the director coming in here for Rompo Keaton. Um, so a few other credits uh, for Jerry, aside from Orange, um, at least to go with something that's somewhat similar. Jerry's actually done more comedies than dramas, if anything. So I also picked up Seraph of the End and Defrag. 
Uh, Alex Munez, he's actually been a writer for a while, but he doesn't have too many credits. He's actually written scripts for Darker Than Black, Yeoman Gun, Perfect Order, and Psychopaths. Jessica Cavanaugh, uh, she's written scripts for Fuka, Alderman on the Sky, and is one of the scriptwriters for Go Sick. And Tia Ballard, she doesn't actually have many script credits as well. The only ones that I could find were Kiss Him, Not Me, Shonen Maid, and Love Life Sunshine. So in terms of the directing and the hmm. writing of this show, how do we feel about it? Gigi, I, Ooh, like the Gigi, I feel like you're destined to find yourself dealing with Mr. Jerry Jewel because between Orange, First Love Monster, and now this, you've got an interesting <laughs> track record. You know, and I will say it again, I don't hate Jerry Jewel. I think he does a good job at deadpan characters. Uh, I won't spoil anything right now. But uh, I also, I think he's a good director. Like, I really like his directing style. He makes some really solid choices in the way that these characters are portrayed, especially because the nuances in the Japanese version, because I did watch about four episodes of it before it went on Funimation, like I was watching it on Hulu. Um, and like, it's really hard to get behind the subtle nuances, especially in um, some of the voices in the Japanese version, mainly that main kid, what's his name, Kobayashi. Yeah. Um, but in this version, you can definitely hear what you're supposed to be hearing with all the inflections and all the emotions and everything. I think Jerry Jewell always does a very solid job directing. And from what I remember, this plays it pretty close to the Japanese cuff. And along with the writing too, I don't, I don't remember honestly um, anything out of the ordinary with the writing. I thought it was pretty, pretty straightforward and it has to be in a mystery show because otherwise you're not going to be able to solve the mystery so and at the same time having three writers on this show and being able to at least keep it consistent too and at that subtle level that's props to alex jessica and tia for that i'm really surprised tia ballard went so dark to be honest with you i would never have expected her to write something like this granted we also don't i'm not sure if i have particular knowledge of which episodes these people are ill writ um i'll say this though um in terms of the writing it was Pretty good, pretty serviceable. The only times I ever thought it was a little distracting was whenever it seemed like Akichi, I think was his name, right? Uh, when Akichi got like really excited or, or was like, uh, damn right I did or something, I thought that was the only time it ever seemed a little distracting because it seemed weird for him to kind of show off like that considering his character. And I thought that was the one criticism that i thought was distracting aside from that writing was pretty good as for directing directing's where we got to see a lot of people in this show pull some different sides of themselves because there's a lot of heavy dramatic beats and you get to see a lot of interesting sides to some of your favorite actors yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> we'll get to that but yeah, yeah. those are my thoughts Jet, how about you? How do you feel? Um, well, I've always thought that Jerry Jewell is a pretty solid director, and uh, he's continuing to do that here. I really like the direction for this show. It's uh, very solid. He got some great performances out of people, and some also some very surprising performances out of people. 
And I was pretty happy with it. As for the script, like, I don't really remember too much about the Japanese version, but nothing really sounded off to me, so that's about as good a sign as any. And, uh, yeah, that's basically it for me. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I mean, like, like I mentioned before, you've seen Jerry direct more comedy than drama. So, and I think this is probably the one of the first mystery shows I've seen Jerry direct. So this is a really, really solid effort on Jerry's part, directing-wise. Uh, like Andrew, there are some performances in here that he he probably really pulled some things out of people, and I really enjoyed it. There's one in particular uh, later on that we get to, but um, I think it's really solid. Some of the casting choices I might have slight issues with. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> When have we ever but, said bad things on this all. show, Lilac? When have we ever said bad things about anybody? Never. We've never said it. No, I'm kidding. Uh, every day. Every day. He's Jimmy fucking Kudo. He knows his way around a goddamn mystery. Uh, <laughs> but, um, I mean, there's few issues with casting, few issues with probably some of the lines that were said, but... um. It's very solid on both the directing and the writing front. Um, so, yeah, general consensus. I think we really enjoyed the directing and writing for this show so far. Does that sound good? Mm -hmm. Good job, okay. detective. 10 out of 10 would mystery again. So is it time to put a little salt in the wound? <laughs> a little salt. <laughs> ha, 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 oh. ha, ha, ha. Thank you, Gigi. Oh. <laughs> oh. Choo, choo choo. Actually, I don't think I have to hop on the salt train. No, I, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> even talking about Hat salt train. It's just. This is a. The first people we're going to talk about, they are odd, and I will explain why. They're, they're, they're supposed to be the comedic relief, I guess you could say, of the show. Please introduce, I guess you please introduce us to. Our comedic relief, boss. So, the first, because we have at least we have at least three pairs before we get to the main. What is it? Four characters of the show. Um, so the first two we're going to talk about. We have medical examiner Minami, uh, who hosts the ever wonderful three minute shocking, where essentially uh, she breaks down um, what happens to the victims of each of these cases that Akachi and Kobayashi have to go through. Uh, and to assist her in her three-minute shocking, she has her ever-wonderful friend, Corpsey. Baymax, I mean, <coughs> Corpsey, mm. yes. Uh, Corpsey, not Baymax. Corpsey, a, Don't a even think about killing Baymax. A, Don't make me cry, goddammit. A, a talking, a talking uh, stuffed doll that um, basically goes through all of the uh, ways that these people have died. Um... So, I know I'm the only one who made predictions for at least a good amount of these characters. I only made predictions for me to me. I didn't do anything for Corpsey. Um, unfortunately, I don't remember why I picked half the people I did. Um, so, in me to me's case, um, I had Bryn April and Monica Rial. Bryn April, I'm guessing that when I made this list at the time, I wanted to see Bryn do something different because me to me goes through some shit. <laughs> 
Mean and me ghost. Can we? Okay. I'm just going to say this right now because fuck it. We've already given the spoiler warning. I didn't yep. think this character was real for most of the show. Same yeah. here. That twist was really weird. It was really <laughs> weird. Like, really? It was like, wait, are you even a real person? Oh, you're just like, I, nobody seemed to really recognize that they were there. Or that this was actually happening. It seemed like they were breaking the fourth wall, but then they were there the whole time, and they bring and it then up. And we on get to <laughs> yeah, and we get to episode nine, where hello, I'm going to kill this doctor because you basically poisoned my little brother. I am also voiced one, by I am one Jerry of the many Jewel. twenty faces. <laughs> I am the one of the many twenty faces. That was so the one beside you the whole time. And the little boy being voiced by Jerry Jewell. I know it was corpsey, that was supposed to be corpsey, but boy, it's weird uh, hearing a little boy voiced by Jerry Jewell. So speaking Well, you so, should watch so, Kadocha. Was it, but wait, first of all, that seen? took me out completely and I was like, Oh my god, so, so now get, I spoiled so, so, myself. Wait, you guys haven't so, seen okay, the Witch? Let, let's let's Stop. take the reins. Take you the reins before I continue. You're getting you're getting ahead of yourselves here. So since Andrew did say who plays Corpsey, yes, our director Jerry Jewell plays Corpsey. Uh, as for me to me, uh, that went that role went to Miss Jade Saxton. Uh, now for other roles uh, similar, at least kind of similar um, to what we have here. For Jade Saxton, you've seen her roles in Defrag, Soul Eater Not, and The Heroic Legend of Arslan. As for Jerry Jewell in his voice acting work, you've probably seen him in Hitalia. Uh, Shin Chan as the ever wonderful Happiness Bunny. Um, and he's actually a character in the other Rompo, Edigawa Rompo universe kind of show. He's also in Trickster um, as well, that's still airing this season. So, going back to our thoughts on uh, uh, Jade and Jerry as Minami and Corpsey, how do we feel about it? <laughs> Okay, for, okay, before I get my final thoughts, I need to continue my tirade. I didn't think they were real! That was so fucking weird! I remember watching that first time being like, wait, you exist? You're, what is this shit? Yeah, and they reference it several times. You, I can't you... believe one of our own was is, is behind this the whole time. Boy, I really liked her. She was fun. You didn't even acknowledge her. What the fuck's going on? <laughs> <laughs> no, but they did because if you if you pay attention to the style of the show because the show is very stylized, oh, you'll is. notice that if somebody isn't doesn't make a big impression, they're either a flat like paper outline or they're a wooden person. Yep, those and the, Minami those... and Corpsey were always real characters. Yeah, those th that that's a really good point that you bring up, Gigi. Because also this was pretty the... much one giant stage play. Kind of, yeah. yeah. Which is, which is, which is kind of another reason why I enjoy it. Ha <laughs> ha, theater. But the um, the mannequins and the highlighted outlines of the people, those are actually the non-interesting people that Kobayashi and Akachi see. So the faded outlines of the people, that's Ko that's the uninteresting people Kobayashi see. The mannequins, those art doll mannequin things that you see sometimes in your art class and when you're elementary school or high school, those are the uninteresting people that Akachi sees. So yeah, you are right, Gigi, because Minami and Corpsey are like actual physical, tangible, tangible, like present characters, they are important to them. So Even if sense. the show doesn't 
make that clear. Yeah, that, it's really weird. It's it is. really it's weird, of, and that's kind of, like it's kind of a tough situation. As for their I mean, performances, I really like Jade. Like Jade's a person. I loved it. Jade is. <laughs> she oh gets God. cast as like the bitch a lot, but yeah, I really like one. it when she goes psychotic or kind of really malicious, which I, is another role from another show we will hopefully get to also by the same studio and director you know what i'm talking about yeah. <laughs> hopefully we'll get to that later but i really Eventually. like that kind of range because jade surprises me with the amount of range that she actually has and this is one of those very impressive roles as for corpsey Corpsey does a really good job at being kind of unassuming and very quiet. And then you realize he was, in fact, her little brother that was doomed to die due to, mal due to like, uh, what do you call it? Malpractice or negligence? Yeah, malpractice. Negli yeah, malpractice. Malpractice yeah. and negligence. Um, and, and then he decides to, to be a body double. They... Did you did you remember that part? He was like they, the, he we, was the one that burned yep. alive, and they were the ones yeah. helping the big bad yes. the whole time. Oh my god! Which it was it's an like... odd twist. The other thing I'll say this: that was an interesting arc, which I really felt they should have like highlighted more. But when she does finally go out, it's such a god. Yes, I was good. I was just about to say that, like. Yeah. Literally, like, I thought she was fantastic and manic and wonderful, like, through her whole performance. And then she literally goes out with a clunk. She goes out yeah, in the of. most, like, wait, it's like, they, it was so interesting. It was weird, but the fact that I remember it so thoroughly enough to talk about it as passionately as I do means it left an impression on me in the yeah. story. But the fact that this character... He's taken out in, like, an instant. And then they're just like, oh, I guess she's gone now. Oh, that's a shame. She was fun. Want to kill ourselves? Yeah. He's like, jump off the clock tower. Done. <laughs> I have to say, I, when I looked at the casting list before going and watching the rewatching the show and in the dub, when I saw that Jerry Jewel was corpse, I'm like, how the hell is this going to sound? The second I, like, like, the first sentence that he says... In the show, I laughed my ass off. What was it? <laughs> I don't remember the actual sentence, but it was just how he, how he, how his voice sounded uh, <laughs> that I... made me laugh so much. I'm like, I didn't think Jerry Jewel could sound that. Oh, I much. guess, I, I guess I'm dead now. Uh. <laughs> it, it was that, and it was kind of just really <laughs> blunt, which for Corpsey and Corpsey's character, quote unquote, it works. <laughs> Corpsey's just blunt and like nonchalant kind of about everything he's an inanimate object that somehow magically talks i mean it makes sense um when it got to jerry being the little brother though for that one episode i get why they did that for consistency it but it's it i that is not a child's voice no <laughs> jerry we love you well but no. <laughs> it's like i understand um, the watch. decision I think he works as Corpsey, but he doesn't work as the child. Yeah. I understand the casting decision, though, and it works. It's just really jarring. 
very jarring. Uh-huh. Um, if you want to hear Jerry Jewell voice a child for 52 episodes, watch Kodocha, where he plays a kindergartner. A deadpan Oh, I thought you were going to tell me to watch Milo Monster again. No. <laughs> Number two, speaking of a deadpan character, Corpsey. Uh, ah. Yeah, Corpsey. yeah. That was the best joke you're going to hear from me all night. Or you know, you um, can just watch a bit Maria in the age window of Venus. I feel that this is more of a directing choice because I know Jerry Jewell like puts himself in his shows according to Megan and he puts himself as like some small bit role every time but I just he knew that he would have to voice a little kid I just wish the voices were different enough so that I wouldn't know that it was Jerry Jewell voicing that kid because his voice is so distinct that immediately I was like oh shit well, I, at, that corpsey is the little at, kid. I, mean, I, think it I was, was like, that just fucking wrecked I mean, it. I think it was to make it clear that this was who Corpsey's yeah. was based off of. So yeah, I think I, it, I feel like that's, I think it's a deliberate choice too, honestly. Yeah. Uh, it's weird, I know it but may, I, I know it may I mean, I, I get it. I know it may seem obnoxious, but I think in this situation, that was a deliberate choice to make sure that connection was made um, when we get to talk about the little brother. That's just my thoughts. Though, Jade, like, she was she was very entertaining uh, during all the three-minute shockings. And then, because <laughs> my notes on the dub, I decided to do a different process for this dub review. So I made little notes about each of the performances every three episodes up through the end. So some of my notes, like, after three episodes that Jade was entertaining as me to me, uh, I put Jerry is best blunt corpse doll. <laughs> Uh, after six episodes, I had written that Jade and Jerry are still an amazing comedic pair, because at the time, they were a pretty good comedic pair. And then after nine episodes, I put that Jade went balls to the walls nuts. Uh, also feel a little bad for Jerry, though when he played the brother, it was kinda eh. That yeah. kinda sums up my thoughts on the two performances, really. Like, Jade had a really good progression from, like, comedic character to not necessarily this tragic character, but basically going balls through walls nuts. So. And then, and then Jerry, mm. I enjoyed him as the blunt corpse. But the little boy, I, again, I understand the decision that was made here to make that connection clear, but it just was, like, like Andrew said, it's very jarring. <laughs> I like him better as a blunt object, not as a child who sounds like a blunt object. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, <laughs> Oh, wait, I didn't know Victor Nikivarov was in this anime. Oh, god damn it. Jet, before we get too far, how do you feel about Jade and um, Jerry? Uh, I, uh, well, I like Jade's acting a lot, and it's kind of interesting hearing her doing something wacky as opposed to the usual deadpan things he always does. So it was pretty interesting. As for Jerry Jewel, he did a good job of existing. I mean, as for him <laughs> doing the little boy, that was kind of weird, <laughs> but it didn't bother me too much. I think we've all got enough. Jade is second best girl. Jade. Second best girl. Second best girl. <laughs> I think I yes. know who... Oh, oh, God. Okay, hang on. We will not talk about that yet. But I have a question. Yes. Lilac, we've all yes. gotten our thoughts. So, I have a question. Okay. Do Corpsey and Minami have any reference and or significance to any 
prior works to Rampo Idugawa. I'm glad you asked. Um, cause I went a little nutty. I did a little extra research. Um, because there are a lot of references to, um, Edgar Rampo's works. So I kind of went nutty and taking notes on a bunch of other things. Um, in terms of Minami and Corpsey, I couldn't find anything. Uh, for those two in particular. I actually didn't think that there was a possibility that they might be connected to any of his work. Um, I cut, In terms of characters that might be connected to some of his work, I actually just went with like some of the specific villains we might run into, um, as well as, of course, some of the characters from the Boy Detectives Club, and one other character, but only because there are two iterations of this character in both Rumpelkiton and Trickster. Um, so I tended to see if there was any connection for that one specific character, we'll get to him in a little bit. But in terms of Minami and Corpsey, I didn't take a look. Um, but I, I wouldn't be. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe there was some sort of connection to a story somewhere. It just what just doesn't help too much is that some of the work that was adapted for this show, there's also no English translations for it. So I couldn't really get too much. Um, research. So, like, for instance, what is it? The last... The last three episodes of the series, episodes 9 to 11, each of them, they're, they're each either a short story or an essay that were written in, like, the 1920s or, in the case of episode 10, 1953, but there's no translations for them, so I don't really know the details for each of those. But, um... Yeah. You heard I that, book nuts. companies? Localize your weeb shit it so us filthy gaijins can actually read it <laughs> through official sources. So I don't have to read my fan translations to read my high-end literature. Nice. <laughs> but yeah, I tried to um, get as many notes as I could um, based on the episode titles of, the ser of each of the episodes as well as some of the... Um, characters that seem to recur um in Edigawa's works so as well as uh, one other fun little note which when we get to Namikoshi I will talk about a little bit later um but general consensus seems like we loved Jade and then Jerry we loved as the corpse but we're kind of iffy on the little boy a little bit <laughs> I understand why the decision was made yeah. and I think it is a decent decision it's just a very jarring moment when it's supposed to be a very dramatic scene and then you hear yeah. jerry jewel being the child though i did enjoy jerry jewel as the deadpan corpsey and minami proves that even though like jade's typecast as a lot of the bitchy sundere types she is really full of a lot of range that has continued oh, yeah. to surprise me and this is one of those great examples of that oh yeah I, be, I think that basically sums up Jade right there and Jared. So, let's move on. Because I know Andrew has said he had questions about one of these particular characters we're going to talk about now. He's mentioned that to me a couple times. So, the two characters we're going to be talking about, um, they're actually both considered villains um, in this show. in a, Or criminals, I should say, uh, in a sense. So, we have miss black lizard why yes. and we have yes. and we have shadow man so shadow man yes. shadow man he is in the show he's like a master of disguise and a master thief um he makes his first appearance is actually in episode three because he goes to akachi 
and the Boy Detectives Club um, to help him find this little girl, Sachiko. Um, whom, <laughs> dear sweet lord, um, before we get too far, can we talk about Chris George's Watanuki, the villain for that episode, please? I want to talk about that, because <sighs> I actually real briefly, think, holy crap. I'll be very brief about it, I actually feel like in the Japanese, that particular character was played much more like a typical bad guy antagonist, but I actually think the way they had Chris George play it he felt much more eerily deranged and yeah. off. Because <laughs> he do, didn't it talk off a like... Lot, it comes off a lot, be, a lot better the deranged parts of um, what he, he, his character. Because he didn't dub. come off like some sort of mastermind, ha ha ha. He felt like this really stunted, fucked up child that never grew up but his body aged and i think the way he delivers his lines when he's going into some of this stuff it's actually really convincing yeah and something i want to bring up with that bit of deranges because this is going to come up um with the next set of characters after we talk about shadow man and black lizard there are a lot a lot of criminals that even though they are arrested, they get released because they plead insanity, and they go to a and they each get sent to a psychiatric ward, and they're released not long afterwards, and then they commit their crimes again. So, this is one of the reasons why, because the whole the whole the larger villain of the show is Twenty Faces, the idea of this masked vigilante that delivers justice when the police cannot do so. And Watanuki is one of these villains that get that's gotten arrested several times and released. Until after the reemergence of Twenty Faces, whom we will get to with the next set of characters, he ends up dead <laughs> by another Twenty Faces that emerges after this one is caught. Yeah, so, I actually had a question he, about that. Sure. I, so I, so I, I, so I mean, I'm not sure if you actually did any research on that, but I was always kind of wondering if that thing about the criminal justice system and the whole, like, pleading and said anything was actually true. I don't know. People, I people uh, do yeah, plead insanity as a way of, like, if... As, 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 I, mean, I, I mean, I know that much, but just, like, the, I mean... It, it, it feels insanity. like if somebody pleads insanity and or sent to a ward, it shouldn't be that simple to escape or evade the system i can't i think i think part of it too because i mentioned it in the dub is that if someone pleads insanity no prosecutor wants to go up against a case where they know they're gonna lose so that's another reason why these criminals don't get charged to the actual full extent that they should okay so i know that was brought up too um, but yes, but anyway. the episode with Watanuki and, and Watanuki, yes, Watanuki. Mm, Ton from Cheer Boys is no longer a pure little meatloaf, too innocent for this earth. I think he got his adult pants on and then shoved all his ex girlfriends into a wall. Oh. <laughs> that episode oh. was, was really great, fucked right? up and sad. It, it was. It was. I'm here for the lols, kids. I'm here for the lols. So back to well, Black I mean, Lizard oh, oh, God, no. 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 <laughs> we have to talk about them eventually. So, Shadow Man. I'm going to, again, I'm going to kind of start there. Uh, um, like I said, uh, Master Thief, Master of Disguise. 
uh, introduced in the third episode where he's trying to get help finding this girl, Sachiko, who's gone missing. Um, Black Lizard. <laughs> what <laughs> the kind fuck of love it. is this character? <laughs> so, so let me explain. The best girl. So let me at least explain the character for this show. So Black Lizard is also this criminal. However, she is she's locked up. Uh, basically in the underbelly of the police center. And <laughs> she basically has all this underworld, underground knowledge of, like, all this stuff going on in the criminal, uh, in the criminal <laughs> world. And so Akachi will go to her on occasion uh, to get information out of her. She's also rather sadistic. And, uh... <laughs> no, 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 where are you looking for is masochistic. That is a word you're actually looking it's for. It's actually sadomasochistic because she's a Switch, ladies and gentlemen. She is. That is very true. Let's call her Nintendo um, Switch. Oh, God, God damn it. Relevant. Because she'll dole out the punishment to her little minions and everything like that. But basically, uh, whenever Akachi talks to her like she doesn't mean absolute shit and that she should die she switches from her dubs to her she subs. gets off on that she gets off on that and um yeah <laughs> things bodily God, functions good. happen down here bodily functions sometimes down in that little I, little area that we call a vagina i make call, my jokes ladies call a vagina i make my my don't need to have I a make sex my jo- ed lesson right now i make my jokes i make my innuendos i make my things <laughs> i do that but this okay. character <laughs> actually even makes my sadistic twisted pervy little brain and just go ew <laughs> so, ew. so so before before I kind of go into uh, who actually voices these two um, and we kind of talk about that kind of give to give a bit more context as to these two characters in Edogawa's works please the shadow man uh, he's actually based off of a character who, what did I write? Who profits off of ventures in blackmail and murder consulting. So he's not a master thief in Edogawa's works. He's he's a much darker criminal than that. Um, but I couldn't find whether or not he was a master of disguise or not. So that part I don't know. Uh, but as for Black Lizard, in Edogawa's uh, story the black lizard um, she's a femme fatale character she's a master criminal um, she has a very charged relationship with Akachi from my understanding in the summary of the story she is she wants to steal this diamond and she also wants to kidnap the daughter of this jeweler um, so the jeweler uh, hires Akachi to protect the daughter so she kind of starts getting excited and getting off on the fact that oh I have to I get to face square off against this ma- this like master detective, so that's kind of the whole thing Wait, um, there with Black Lizard. So, in his actual works, she wasn't this switching dominatrix. She was Fujiko oh, Mine. Oh, she was still very highly sexualized. So she was um, Fujiko okay, so Mine. <laughs> Well, yes, essentially. Yes, the 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 thing with her and actually how she got her name. 
um, black lizard. She actually has a black lizard tattoo on her arm. Uh, and according to what I found, um, because she was very, very loosey-goosey, I guess you could say. So whenever, like, she would be, like, on the dance floor at some club or something, like, dancing, like, the lizard on her arm, of course, would be dancing, too. So... Though that's one of the memorable things with her character in particular in Inagawa's work. Um, but in terms of my predictions for who should voice these characters, I actually only picked one for each of them. So, Black Lizard in her case, I went with kind of a strong sounding woman. Because this is a very, this is kind of a strong femme fatale character here. Uh, and a much more lower range. So, I picked Colleen Clink and Beard for it. <laughs> <laughs> and as for Shadow Man, be, I, I can't remember the 100% the reason why I picked him for it, uh, but I think it was a mixture of the story with him and Sachiko in episode 3, and also my desire to see something slightly different and something more fun for him. I actually picked Alex Organ for Shadow Man. Of course, that's not the case. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> Shadow Man, I'm going to start with Shadow Man. Shadow Man is being voiced by Mr. Sonny Strait, uh, whom you would know uh, for a few roles like One Piece, Assassination Classroom, and Fullman Alchemist, just to name a few. And as for Black Lizard, this is one of the more surprising ones for me. It's Mallory Rodick, whom you, she's another up-and-comer, um, but you've heard her in Ease Out of the Last Witch, Show Me Sample, and Ultimate Otaku Teacher, among a few other roles. So, how do we feel about these two? Okay, okay, okay. Um, we need to pick a character first. We need to pick one character and then go to the others, because both of which exude different strong emotions from me. So, which one are we going for first? <laughs> all right, all right, all right. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, let's start with ladies first. We're going ladies first. first. All right, we're, we're going ladies first. Black okay. lizard first. Cool. We'll go black lizard first. We're, okay. So, ladies first. Let me just say Mallory. Mallory, my girl, I do not know you. I've never heard anything you've ever done before. But for the love of Jesus Christ, can you please be my senpai? <laughs> oh my God. This was the absolute best thing I have ever heard a female play in an anime that's not porn ever, ever. God bless you. You did it for the ladies. Pays ten ninety nine a minute. You got this going on, girlfriend. I am so proud of you. Oh you did God. what what I could not do, what Jamie Markey could not do. You That's go, some high praise go, shit. Yeah. Yeah. So personally, I would have to say it's what it was one of those situations where because I think I said this during Fuka too, where Mallory didn't seem like a good fit on paper. Who'd I say that about? Elizabeth Maxwell Sara. That's why I said that about. So Mallory as Black Lizard, it didn't seem like a good fit on paper. Because I have at least seen a couple other things that Mallory has done at this point. But if you let her go for a few minutes. <laughs> oh my god. It's Damn, she let it go. It takes more it takes go. less than a few minutes. She let go. Yeah, it's because this is a completely different side of Mallory. And like not and well not really her range but like her acting because you get to kind of hear a more sexy crazy side to like what sh she can do in her performance and I 
fell in love with it. I'm like, oh my god. Whoa. She, she like like Gigi said, she went there. <laughs> she went oh there. God. I'll say this. I'll say this. I am really confused and almost disgusted <laughs> by this character. Wow. But... I really dude I'm pretty disgusted you actually that uh <laughs> it's it's like it just <sighs> Okay, okay, bodily functions aside, if you take that part out, what now? I'd still be I'd still be a little uncomfortable, I guess. Well she's basically having phone sex into the microphone. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. So let, let me let me clarify. <laughs> let me clarify. I'm talking about okay. the character of Black Lizard. The character okay. of Black Lizard. The character. Yeah, he has problems. He has My issues, issues with the character. Not Mallory, by the but. character and the way they show her and how she is really jarring with the tone of this series. But, but, and there is a big but there. I will say... There is a big butt. <laughs> I will say... Mallory's fucking perfect as this crazy, psychotic, hypersexual, deviant, sadomasochistic, switch-crazy person. And she is... She sells it. She sells it and owns it amazingly. And this is the kind of thing that you you take pride in, but you don't bring home. But, yeah, yes. I'm going to say, like, like... You're so proud of this role, but you don't want your mom... See, it's to like, I, I, I yeah. wanted to make that clear, because I really think you were you were taking that I was shit-talking Mallory. No, Mallory's... No, it's the character. Yeah, it it's was. really the so character. So I'm glad that you cleared that up for me, because I was like, she can't... I mean, that's what she's supposed no, to I, do, I, I now that I see her disgusted by the I'm character, just, I guess. Yeah, I completely, I completely understood it was the character you had an issue with, because I know there were a couple times the past few days or so you're like i re uh, like i'm glad you're taking so many notes steph because i have so many questions about blacklist i don't know i have this so character. many questions <laughs> <laughs> i feel like i feel like i feel like if anything if there was a reason why black lizard is even in this show if i had to take a guess she's probably one of the more um more uh infamous characters from Edagawa rombo's work uh, in terms of criminals, so more than likely that's probably reason. Okay, okay, I did that, but based on what you described her character as, I don't know how we got from that to we went what's from Fujikomiri <laughs> to sadomasochistic switch. Well, to be fair, in Shadow Man's case, we also went from blackmailing and murder consulting to a disguised gentleman thief. We didn't get Fujiko Mine. We got Lupin. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Shit. Oh no. Is this a, a, a how, how do you feel about Black Lizard? Because I was about to transition to Shadow Man from there, but well, how do you feel about Black Lizard? That's a, a, okay, much like Andrew. I'm not really particularly comfortable with the character. It's just really weird and jarring and out of place. Uh, but as for Mallory's performance, like, I've only ever heard her in Izetta, and I wasn't really big on that then. Uh, but she sounds really good here. I was really impressed by her performance. Like, for a while, I wasn't really sure who it was, and I actually kind of thought it would see a ballad when I first heard it. But, uh... <laughs> 
I can I can kind of see that. I can kind of hear that a little bit if it was Tia. But no, <laughs> you thought it was you thought it was Tia, but it was I, Mallory. It's like it's I I, I feel like there was a kind of similar gravitas to um, her character from Netogay, where Hi, it's yeah. like she was this high and mighty rich girl with a big chest and just bought all the free like basically could afford every single free to play like premium service but it's yeah. like she she it's like she showed some of that high and mightiness in Izetta and in Netogay but we didn't see this madness that was this and i think it's great it's a fantastic performance, but her and the character don't mix with the show at large is what I'm mm. trying to get across. Yeah, Black Lizard is, is a character that exists in the show, basically, is what you're saying. Yeah, it's like, if you wanted weird. fan service, you have Kobayashi. <laughs> That's very true! <laughs> we'll get to Kobayashi in a bit. So, to transition... <clears throat> um, to, to transition to Lupin, uh, uh, let's talk about Sunny Sunny as Shadow Man. How do we feel about Sunny Strait's performance of Shadow Man? Excellent. Uh, it sure is Sunny Strait. <laughs> it sure is Sunny Strait. <laughs> well, uh. it's it's funny that you say that because during the episodes where he's prominently featured, I had no idea it was him, Wait. and I had to look at the credits. And when I saw Sunny Strait was there, I was like, no. Wait, wait, wait really? You, no. you really didn't tell? This guy just, yes. This he, guy just made me drama and cry on the goddamn couch. I could not tell it was Sunny Strait. And then everything afterwards, I was in, like, oh, yeah, that's in totally fairness, Sunny Strait. In but fairness, I, oh. it's, it starts out a little gruffer and weaker <laughs> than you'd expect. Than what you normally hear, but yeah. then as you kind of get to the big hideout scene... You can hear a little more of that sunny, that, that dramatic side of Sunny, where it's. Ba- and then, and then you, and then you just get to episode six, where there's a bomb strapped to his chest. He's just left up for an Akaji's place, and then you really hear yeah. Sunny. Honestly, this is this is. <laughs> yeah, then I was like, okay, that's Sunny totally Strange, totally one him. of those actors and directors I've really turned around a lot on in the past couple of yeah. years because he's got a lot of talent in him, like. I, yeah. I, I always knew him as Krillin, and even though he's good as Krillin, he's got a lot of ver- versatility and performance from the likes of Usopp to Koro-sensei. He's really got a lot of range, mm-hmm. and I think Shadow Man demonstrates See, some of the I didn't best know, of that. I didn't know he could be so dramatic, so that's why I was like, no, that can't be Sunny Strait. And then afterwards, I was like, You, oh, you didn't no, watch more One Piece or but Assassination I, Classroom, I was, basically. Or Maria. Yeah. I haven't seen the end. Please don't spoil it. Yeah. Um, but I was literally sobbing. Like when he was on the ground, like humping Wat Nudie's leg or whatever the fuck his name is. Um, like I was cr- sobbing my fucking ass off, and yeah. I was like, I can't believe this bullshit right now. Like, like I didn't, I didn't like ball my cr- my eyes out like um Gigi did. But like one of the notes I wrote down early on after episode three was like I really felt sorry for Sunny. I think it was definitely one of the most effective episodes of the series. Yeah, it was. It was definitely one of the most effective episodes. Though for me personally, we're gonna get to the actual most effective one in a mm. minute. Um, but what yes. el- what else did I say? Um, oh da 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 da. Uh, 
So after six episodes, Sunny kind of became the comedic punchline in episode six. But the timing yeah. for those moments were still fantastic. So, for example, you, you know how um the four of them were going through like these scenarios and trying to get out of the building while these um, oh yeah revolutions. like every <clears throat> every single one was just like okay, we do this, you do that, the bomb goes off, everybody gets out. Oh, that's a great plan, and yeah, I'd be dead. <laughs> That was basically Sunny's response every single time because Shadow Man ended up dead in every scenario. Oh, and I'd still be dead. It's great. Well, I think at that point in time in the show, it definitely needed some kind of. It, it needed a little it was levity, just yeah. So yeah, epi- episode six was definitely a good place for the comedic episode, especially after episode five. Holy mother God! When we talk about Kagami, um, but I I enjoyed Sunny like. I enjoyed him a lot. It, you don't you don't often really see Sonny do dramatic, like extremely dramatic in this situation. But in episode three, that definitely came across, and I I just felt so bad for Shadow Man, especially after seeing the interactions with Sachiko, like him telling the story about his interactions with Sachiko, and, and the fact and that she recognized him was the kind of thing. It's yeah. like yeah, jeez. Yeah, that was the big thing. So I felt really bad mm-hmm. for Sunny. Not to the point where I cried like Gigi did, but I felt so by bad. By the way, for by the way, since we're talking about like Sachiko, uh, Sarah Wiedenhef is great at being precious yes. cinnamon. And also, speaking of Watanuki as well, the one that finally did him in was her dad. That's right! Yep. I forgot about that part. Yep. Yep. The, fir- the 20 yeah. faces that finally took him down was the one who lost his child after nearly getting her back. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that's some shit. Jed, I know you've been kind of quiet. How do you feel about Sunny as Shadow Man? <laughs> uh, okay, uh, well, like I said before, it, as I, uh, like I said before, I actually kind of recognized Sunny straight right away, so I wasn't like too, too surprised by the yeah. performance. Uh, but it's always kind of nice hearing him do dramatic things as opposed to just always being comic relief, even though he did kind of end up being that in the end. He got to be both. <laughs> like, which is something he's good at doing both. Like, if you if you ever yeah. stick around for some of the big beats of <laughs> One Piece, like, everything in the Water 7 Ennies Lobby stuff will fuck you up. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'd watch it. I but mean, do we? Uh, the here's the thing, though. Do we? Do we really need to talk about Maze Hughes though from Full Metal Alchemist? No. I mean, that that one's. I mean, that one's <laughs> been talked about example. to death already. But still, I mean, it's still a really good example. Get, sh- get you a man who can do both. Mm-hmm. There you go. Get you a man who can do both. Sunny Straight is that man. There you go. So the gen- Sweet. Do you want to hang out? <laughs> <laughs> so the general consensus is, despite not understanding Black Lizard's character, we really, really love Mallory mm-hmm. in the performance. And we really enjoyed Sonny to the point where either he was unrecognizable in Gigi's case, or we just at least really felt for him. Oh yeah, definitely. That's mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. So, moving on. Oh lord. 
Um, so the next two characters we're going to talk about, this is the last pair we're going to be talking about. They are actually two police officers um, with the Metro Police. We have Superintendent Kagami, and we also have Nakamura. Uh, now, <laughs> Nakamura, for the most part, is basically this... You, you kind of see him as a secondary officer under Kagami, kind of goes around, helps him out with stuff. Um, but then after episodes four and five, it's just Nakamura. <laughs> because um, in terms of Kagami... Kagami, he goes from superintendent of the police, of the, of the um, homicide division, to being the first 20 faces that appears after the original disappeared three years ago. So, Kagami is the, basically the big, is like the starting domino of this domino effect for this resurgence for 20 faces. Um, the reason why this happened um was not only again like we previously brought up the criminals that were getting arrested were not actually like going to jail or being properly punished which was disheartening him to the actual system at hand yep and one of the criminals he had arrested and ended up being released killed his little sister which which it's a good a time as any to bring this up so, episode 5, where we learn all this stuff about 20 Faces, uh, Kagami, and um, how he became 20 Faces. That episode, in particular, is called The Caterpillar. There is actually a story in, in Rampa Edagawa's repertoire called The Caterpillar. Uh, and I just wrote it, real, wrote down the summary real quickly. So, it's a short story of a husband and wife, Tsunaga and Tokiko. Do those names sound familiar, Danny? Tsunada and Tokiko. Tokiko, yeah. <laughs> Tokiko is the little sister of Kagami. Mm -hmm. Tsunaga is the crazy Jack, the crazy dude that. I, I I read a little bit about this, so I know where you're going with this. I know where you're going with this. So, in the story, the husband Tsuniga, he's come back from war, and he's also quadriplegic. Okay. And in the story, Tokiko, his wife, is taking care of him um, after he comes back from war. And it's basically this psychosexual kind of story. Now, in the show, the person who killed Kagami's sister, Kagami didn't kill him. He essentially turned him into a quadriplegic. He cut off all of his arms and legs and let them to oh. feed to basically rot away in the bath. Yes. He basically completely locked him up and pretty much put a sheet over him where he would basically be slowly ingesting chemicals. Basically, so basically yes. he had all four of his limbs and he could not see. And that was another thing I remember reading in the Caterpillar story is that at some point the man was also blinded. That's the big basis for the Caterpillar story and that's how it got integrated here. In terms of the performances for yeah. the dub, uh, did I have predictions? I actually had a few predictions for Nakamura. Fuck, I just realized this is another trickster stupidity thing. So for Nakamura, my prediction for Nakamura, just because of the demeanor and how he, like, you know, how he, like, crosses his arms all the time, like, he's hugging himself, I picked Chuck Huber for some reason. 
I mean, I, 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 I could have said that, Chair. Yeah, like I can see that. It's, I just find myself kicking myself in the pants because um, he voices another cop character for Trickster opposite the Nakamura of that iteration, which is voiced by, who is voiced by Jamie. So I'm just like, fuck. Um, and uh, my two predictions for Kagami, Mike McFarlane was one of them, just for something like kind of crazy and out there. And again, I actually put Alex Organ in here for this um because one i think it was at that point where i wanted to see more of alex organ i don't recall i he you don't see him pop up that much um and two because of the character of kagami and the shit he goes through i wanted to see how alex organ would play that oh man, oh, man. Oh, okay i mean it's funny it's funny if you it's funny that it's funny mentioning his the character's name and alex organ uh, considering who Alex Organ is in Psychopaths. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> fuck! Fuck, you're right. <laughs> Shit, you're right. Oh, God. Oh, anyways. So, in terms... In terms of, like, whether or not Kagami and Nakamura are uh, linked to any of Edogawa's works, Kagami, I couldn't find anything. Nakamura, I couldn't find anything. However, because there is another Nakamura iteration in Trickster... I kind of have this theory that maybe Nakamura is... Because Rampo Edogawa was inspired by, like, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and Sherlock Holmes kind of novels. So, my th my theory is that Nakamura is kind of like the um, Lestrade character hmm. for, like, Sherlock Holmes. Like, he's on the police force and he works with, with in this case, Akashi. Because um, once Kagami is arrested, um, you you really, again, you see Nakamura still working with um, Akashi, especially in the island, the uh, Panorama Island incident. Mm -hmm. um, so, that's kind of my theory and my thought on that. Um, but the people who are voicing these characters, for Nakamura, we have Mr. Mark Stoddard, whom you have heard in a variety of roles, such as Case Closed. As, oddly enough, Inspector <laughs> McGuire. <laughs> oddly enough. <laughs> he was also in Drifters as well as Ping Pong. And as for Kagami. Oh, sweet baby Jesus. Um, so Kagami is voiced by Mr. J. Michael Taylor. We're sorry. Whom. Husbando number two. Whom, love your face. Whom, uh, you've, heard of her, you've heard him in numerous roles. Um, but the three that I think kind of really fairly close to at least Kagami's character and his demeanor, I went with Attack on Titan, uh, Demo in Wonderland, and Spice and Wolf. So, we, we talked about the backstory long enough. Uh, how do we feel about uh, these two performances? Let's start with Mark Stoddard as Nakamura. Okay, I, I have words about this one, just on the grounds that... I feel from the little I do remember of the sub show, this one was the most distinctly different from yes. the sub to the dub. Because in the sub, he sounded very much like kind of laid back, lazy grandpa type. I think that might be the other reason why I initially had Chuck Huber I think predicted I for Nakamura, because it was I could a similar that. tone. So, hearing Mark Stoddard, while I think Mark Stoddard does a good job, he's a very... 
he, he's not who I see as the laid-back old man. Mark Stoddard seems like a much more authoritative, has-his-shit-together mm. old man. Which is why I think yeah. it was a little bit distracting to me. Distracting? In a good way or a bad way? I'd say, I think Mark Stoddard is good. It's just, he mm -hmm. seemed a little, like, he did. He seemed like he was supposed to be more laid back to me. And it seems like Mark Stoddard's more large and in charge with his voice. I really do like Mark Stoddard's voice. It just, it, it, it was one of the most jarring transitions going from kind of crazy grandpa to like granddad i kind of feel like there were points where because nakamura's character because we learned in episode five that nakamura has been going through the same process with these criminals for years so this isn't new to him and my impression i kind of got from it from mark stoddard in this case there were points where he just kind of seemed tired. Hmm. I actually hadn't thought like, of that. Yeah, like tired of going through the same thing over and over again. And, he's, and it's just become the norm for him. It's not like a pleasant norm to him. But he's at this point, he's kind of just like going through the motions. And he even says in that episode where it's like, if I'm able to at least lock him up for a period of time so I can save at least one person from possibly like being killed or going through these hard times with these criminals i feel like i've at least accomplished something in that fact and i feel better knowing that so i got the sense that he there were moments where mark Stoddard portrayed nakamura as kind of tired which really worked in the context of like the law system that was going on here at the time um yeah, I can understand it being a little bit like I don't want to say jarring because again, Mark Stoddard, you're you're used to him being the more being the more authoritative figure. Like I, I don't I don't want to get across that I disliked him as I disliked no, him as this character. It's just a different interpretation, which yeah. I hadn't actually thought of it as being tired. But when you do put it like that, it does put in perspective that particular choice. Yeah. And I do think it I do think it's it is a good choice. It is just the most distinctly different one from what I remember. I think the best way I can describe how I feel about Mark Stoddard playing Nakamura is when I asked you guys in the chat which one was Nakamura? Was it the one who is a hunchback for the entire anime? And you were like, yes. And I was like, oh, so it's not Todd Habercorn. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> damn it. So not oops. Todd. <laughs> um, but I, literally, honestly, to me, it was just like a background cop. I don't really have anything enlightening to say about it because I don't know who Mark Stoddard is. But now that you say he's Inspector McGuire, I'm like, oh, well, okay. So he's a background cop. So he's a background cop. Oh, you've probably I'm glad heard, you got a paycheck, Mark Stoddard. You've probably heard Mark Stoddard in a variety of things. You just probably didn't notice it before, if I had to guess. And that brings me back to my point. I didn't notice okay. it. Okay. <laughs> Mic dropped. Well, I mean, you... Jet. Yeah, okay. Yeah, sorry. Uh, Jet, uh, okay. Jet, what do you uh, think My impression isn't that much different from BG's. Like, I'm more familiar with Mark Stoddard, and I like him in a lot of things. Uh, he doesn't leave too much with a person of me here. I mean, he did a good job of being the tired cop, I guess, but I didn't really care about the character all that much. 
So it didn't really leave me with too yeah. distant an impression. Yeah, you don't really get a lot of, like, background in terms of Nakamura. <laughs> if anything, the biggest thing with Nakamura is his relationship to Kagami. Um, which, yeah. I guess, perfect segue to talk about Tatum as Kagami. Um, speaking of oh. very dramatic performances and feeling so bad for people... Mm -hmm. Oh my god. Here's, oh my god. The, these are honestly the notes that I had regarding Tatum. So after three episodes, I had said... Well, this first one is for Tatum and Stoddard. I would said Tatum and Stoddard work as their respective roles, but I'm extremely interested in the relationship later on, given what Tatum has to go through. And then after six episodes, word for word, this is what I wrote. I haven't really seen Tatum in something this dramatic in a while. Episode 5 certainly gave me a mix of emotions, because I got to go through Kagami's emotions. Like, we talk about feeling bad for Sunny. I felt so bad for Tatum as Kagami. You watched uh, him break. During that episode. Like, mm, I was like... I never ever wanted to see my man break, and then he broke, and I was dying. I was dying. Not as bad as the Caterpillar, man. But yeah, like... And like... Uh, it, okay, so I have to make this horrible confession. Uh -oh. Is that I have... I have, like, just recently been confusing Tatum and Ham Ian Sinclair. Like, so at first, I was like, oh, it's Ian going out all ham again. Because, like, if Tatum doesn't have, like, that super British accent like he normally does, I get them. I can, I can see that. So I was like... Yeah, I can see makes that sense. Happening, yeah. So when I heard him... Yeah, I heard him coming out, like, very... Um, more Americanized, I guess. I know he's not British. He's clearly not British, but he talks very classically. And so I was just like, Ian? Tatum? Either way, I'm in good hands. Um, and then when he fucking lost it, I was just like, no. My baby, why are you doing this to me? I'm gonna need fucking therapy like once yeah. this episode is over because now you're gonna go to jail and I'm sitting here crying and you're like killing people and I was like, no, no, it's so awful. But he was fucking fantastic. Yeah. I want to give him a fucking I have Oscar. a question. Who sure. voiced his sister? That was Brina. Brina Palencia. Uh, That's yeah, who yeah. that was. Wait, okay. wait, you couldn't recognize her? Wait, you couldn't recognize her? That was like pretty clearly her. I it it, it, it couldn't quite come to me, and I didn't look for it. it and and if you're and out of curi and if you are curious, um, Greg Dolce vers uh, voices Sunaga, the uh, murderer, the person who kills uh, Tokyo. Oh, that I I did not have much of a fuck to give about him. I'm like, you are the most. That guy's a piece you of are, shit. Like it was. It Please was die. Die in a chemical bath. evil looking. Like. The almost, I I like this show, but I do feel sometimes it is a little preachy in its message and goal. Sometimes, and yeah. I feel like the way that he is arrested and the way that he explains that was kind of one of the most obviously ham-fisted things about it where it's like i'm just gonna go in and out of all these i'm just gonna clean for insanity and i'm gonna escape from that insanity ward and it's like why not have like a police guy say that why not have a lawyer say that why would the creepy clearly evil man that's clearly evil say that 
seemed a little because because he's gone through the same process several times. This is not new to him. Again, I think that again that point there is to kind of push Kagami's buttons a little bit because he's not a fan of the system. I I, I, I guess it just that was one of those things in the story presentation itself that just seemed right. a little bit forced. Yeah, a little bit. Um, but yeah, Ka oh my God, Tatum is Kagami because mm. we for the first yeah, sorry for the first few episodes. Obviously, you don't expect Kagami to be pulling some bad shit. You don't, because he's a really good cop. He has a strong sense of justice. And then by the ep end of episode four, when it's revealed that it is Kagami, it's when I first saw that, I was like, "Holy shit, what now?" And then the entirety of episode five, it was like a roller coaster of emotions for me. It's like you realize how strong his sense of justice really is. Like how Fuck strong you, Tatum. Like Fuck. how strong his sense of justice is and how fucked up this system is. So yes. let let me make so. it clear because I feel as a representative of Dub Talk, I need to okay. clearly state we do not hate Tatum. Really? We do not We're on this right now. We're on this right now. What? What? We don't hate Tatum because... No, he is my husbando number two. Why are you speaking poorly of my number two man? I, no, because I think you say that because uh, I'm here. I think, it's more, I, think, I think it's more because of um, some of the scripts he's done We've, before. I think that's we have said... Fuck you guys. Best writer 2016. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I, I trying to be Andrew. sincere Andrew. and kind, Gigi. Don't push me. <laughs> Don't, I'm don't don't wake the sleeping baby. <laughs> what I'm trying to attempt to say is we have been critical of Mr. Tatum for certain performance. Except for Yes, me. except for you, Gigi. <laughs> Go in your corner. Just let him finish, please. Let him finish or we're never Fuck gonna you. be done. Okay. What I'm trying to say is we've been critical of certain scripts and performances that Mr. Tatum has had, but we do not dislike J. Michael Tatum. In fact, he is actually a very strong, very talented actor at Funimation. Though, even though he has been typecasted in certain roles, he is a strong, very talented actor. And when he shows his stuff, he shows his stuff really good. And I do feel the particular freak out, like breaking point moment of Kagami is a strong proof and strong example that J. Michael Tatum is a very talented actor and we do enjoy mm. his work and what he brings to the table. That's what I'm trying he's to say, also, Gigi! He, he's also... Except for Gigi. He's also a sweetheart in real life, though. I'm sure he is he's a yeah. very nice person and a very pleasant, wonderful human being. We have been he critical is. of him in the past. He I'm is. just trying to say we have nothing against J. Michael Tatum. That was all I was trying to say. Yeah, for some when reason, you say I, me, I think... you should say me. Yes, Andrew, Gigi, you want to suck not... his dick? We get it. Oh my god! <laughs> Whoa! Okay, okay, um, okay. Let let him go there, please. <laughs> uh, before I'm we get sorry. To... I'm sorry. <laughs> Before, I was um, just trying to make to... my point and you were like getting really defensive where it's like I'm trying to be nice and sincere right now why are you fighting me before 
before it gets too raunchy and someone pulls a black lizard. Um, oh, God. Uh, <gasps> Jet, how do you feel about Tana Viscogamy, please? Uh, I mean, okay so, be, okay, so being perfectly honest, like, my feelings about the show were pretty mixed. But uh, episode, but episode five, I recall that Daphne Burton was one of the things that stood out to me the most. Uh, so I was kind of curious to see how uh, Tane would handle this one, and uh, I was really impressed by how he performed it. I mean, like, I really like him as an actor, so I'm usually not like too surprised when he does a great performance. But this was, it was really fantastic. <laughs> yeah, this 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 episode in particular, episode five, was like. <laughs> it was like one of the strongest episodes of the show, I feel. In like tone and the performance and everything. And a lot of it comes from J. Michael Tatum because he is the. Basically, he's the one man show for that episode. And I think it was exceptionally done, honestly. So. So, consensus. Sounds like we loved Tatum as Kagami. Uh. And. I don't want to say Stoddard was the right the right word for Stoddard is jarring compared to the Japanese. Um, it was just I think it sounded like it was kind of different, but it does work to an extent. Does that seem accurate? Yeah, yeah. We all good. Yeah, no, this we got this got quite. I would let fast. Tatum put me in a chemical bath. It's fine. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ! Oh God. <laughs> Okay. Uh, that was a uh, TMI. TMI. All right. All right. <laughs> you can just call me Black Lizard. It's okay. fine. <laughs> Let me go change my Twitter Black profile. Gigi. <laughs> Black Gigi. No. What? Whoa. Whoa. Well, that went in a different direction than I meant it. That did not go <laughs> in, okay, the, that did sure not go in the intended direction. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, we have four characters left to talk about, and they're going to be individual. Um, so, the next character to talk about, he, I guess you can essentially say this character is the main villain of the The mastermind. The mastermind. He is the original 20 Faces. Um, his name is Namikoshi. Now, Namikoshi and Akachi actually have a rather interesting relationship. So, they met in middle school. Uh, and Akachi kind of discovered that Namikoshi is essentially like a math whiz of some kind. Uh, so the two of them decide to just kind of like hang out together and come up with this formula in order to predict crimes so that way they can be prevented and stopped. So unfortunately the formula and the system that they come up with named Darkstar uh, becomes too big and too dangerous. That Akachi is like, we need to stop, we need to pull the plug on this. But Namikoshi, he actually has an interesting backstory because he's not only bullied at school by other kids, he's abused at home by his parents. And he's treated like absolute shit. So, him spending time with Akachi and creating Darkstar is the only escape he has. So, now that Akachi basically kind of shuts him out and denies him, Namakoshi decides to use Darkstar uh, to cause a bunch of shit to happen, which includes killing the bullies, the people who bullied him at school, having his parents killed, having his teacher killed. Um, so a lot of shit happens, and basically from there, 
Namikoshi becomes this vigilante figure um, known as 20 Faces. I knew I um, hated Matt for a reason. <laughs> um, kind of to talk about both 20 Faces in particular, and actually also Darkstar, because come to find out, Darkstar is actually a novel, is actually the title of a novel that Edogawa has written. Uh, it was written, I didn't get much information off of it, like a summary or anything, um, but it was written in 1939, uh, and it's actually one of the novel series from the Akachi detective series in particular. Um, that's what it was listed under for Wikipedia. So, there's a possibility that it might have some connection to Nami Koshi in particular. Um, I just don't know the details of it. Um, as for 20 Faces, the 20 Faces character for, for um, not Akachi, excuse me, Edegawa's work, um, he's a recurring antagonist to Akachi in the Akachi novels, which in this case makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, but 20 Faces is actually a renowned thief in the series, in the novel series. Um, and actually something rather interesting, I found a really odd connection. Um, it's possible he could be the, it, it, I think it said that he, that the 20 Faces character, because the, the, the proper name for him is the Fiend with 20 Faces. Um, he might be connected to Japan's monster with 20 fa 21 Faces, which what that is, is basically a criminal um, who threatened candy companies in like the, I think it was like the 80s, 70s, 80s, around then. Um, <laughs> they were suspected of kidnapping and even wrote letters to the police regarding their crimes. Hmm. Which is so, which the letter part, the kidnapping part, because Tsunami Koshi does kidnap Kobayashi. It's kind of funny, and I kind of linked that wait, together. Wait, candy companies? Yep. Boy, Dagashi like Kashi season two got really dark. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> and even the monster of twenty one faces, they also it also spawned copycats of this of this criminal as well. Which linking it to twenty faces, because of one person trying to dole out justice to a bunch of criminals that haven't been properly punished. Again, you see a bunch of copycats and a bunch of pop-ups of 20 faces to the point where by the end of the show, you could almost say the entire city is flooded with 20 faces trying to dole out justice. So remember, so basically, remember, remember the 5th of November. Basically. <laughs> uh, now, in terms of predictions, did I have predictions? Yeah, I had two predictions. I don't remember why I put them, and they were Austin Tyndall and Clifford Chapin. I apologize. I made this list a long ass time ago. I can see Tyndall. But and I can both, see Tyndall. And both those make yep. a fair amount of sense to me. But speaking of Gigi's misunderstanding of thinking that Nakamura was Todd Habercorn, Nami Koshi is voiced by Todd Habercorn. <laughs> um Yep. Whom if God. whom if you know anything about anime you've heard about Todd Habergorn at some point in time um, but a few roles that I think are kind of similar to this uh, that I picked up you've heard him probably in Codebreaker um, Eden of the East as well as Shiki though Shiki's his character Shiki's nowhere near Nam Namakoshi um, of course but it, another like he, he's definitely Namakoshi is definitely 
one of my favorite Todd Habricorn villains of his because he has played some yes. villains that can fuck right off. Uh, it's, oh, uh, let, let's let's not talk about Oberon right now. Okay, uh, it's an interesting Todd villain role. I'll give it that. <laughs> it's definitely interesting. Um, so my thoughts on the role because I think what did I do? I I only had a few notes here and there about him. I think I wrote after that after nine episodes, because um, my big thing with Todd, because we only, because after six episodes we only heard a tiny, tiny smidgen of it. Um, we hear we hear him as a little babby child, but we don't we child. don't hear him as large and in charge until the episode nine. We heard a little bit more in terms of exposition. Um, I wrote that at that, at that point when I was watching it was kind of eh, but I was curious to hear him perform the backstory to see if he could pull off. All that dramatic stuff, similar to what Tatum did. But then when I finished the show, I wrote that Todd ended up being okay. I think I got more, but I did get more enjoyment out of um, the more, the more adult portrayal, the seventeen-year-old Namikoshi compared to the younger oh, one. Oh right, that was seventeen. I, oh, that was seventeen. Uh, Him uh, and Akachi are seventeen. Uh huh. Um, though. I didn't feel as moved by Namakoshi's story, his backstory, compared to Tatum. I, th I think Tatum, how Tatum portrayed Kagami's backstory, kind of just overshadowed everything, <laughs> including Todd as Namakoshi. Yeah, kind of. It's, it's yeah, just, yeah, I have some things to say. I, I, it's just, I feel like it's an interesting. I feel bad for the kid, but I feel like what irks me a little or what distracts me is the fact that basically he literally created anonymous v for vendetta with math okay okay here's my thing like i don't know too much about science but i do know chaos theory is a real thing so like i mean like, so the idea of like two middle schoolers writing that out is like really weird and that kind of took me out of the show a little bit it both times I watched it, because I was like, wait, how? Why? <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things like, what? What? The fuck? It's like, how do these calculations work? How does this logic work? How do I math? How does math kill and conquer and basically cause the turnover and upheaval of society? At that point, the damn thing is just a plot device. <laughs> you don't need to understand it. It's just a plot device that sets everything in motion at that point. There's no point in trying to put logic and understanding how did in you, this. How did you know all this? It was all according to K31K4KU. It just got really quiet all of a sudden. Yeah, that's really a tough thing. Well, you, said, you said ooh, but we thought you had like a like a like a surprise one, like ooh. No, I was <laughs> trying I, I was trying to spell Keikaku in leet. Oh. Oh my god. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> oh boy. What 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 does everybody else? Todd Habercorn did a good job. It just it didn't it wasn't quite as stand out to me as Tatum is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, it's kind of hard. It's kind of hard to uh, really 
bring in a solid performance when you might have been outperformed by someone else. I mean, the show featured all three of the men who steal the show. Yeah. Tatum, honestly. Todd, and our next person. And it's yeah. basically always a competition of which of the three will stand out more. And in this show, Tatum was the clear victor. Mm-hmm. It was Tatum who was the clear victor here. Gigi, how do you feel about Todd? Um, To be quite honest with you, I was so irritated with his whole arc. Like, this whole arc made absolutely zero sense to me. That I was just like, how can you fucking kill someone with math? Yeah. <laughs> like, mathing is not a murder weapon. Mathing is not how, I mean, you can adult. Like, I would see you can kill someone if you're adulting, but how can you kill someone with math? So I was just so taken out of the whole thing. And then when he got Kobayashi up on the balcony and he was like, well, you're going to have to be a sacrifice. And I was like, why? What is the point of this? Like, there's absolutely zero plot device point. So I couldn't believe a word out of Tatum's, or Tatum, Jesus, out of Todd's fucking mouth. Because I was like, I don't believe any of this. Like, you cannot convince me that you can murder someone with math. You can't convince me. And if you could, you'd be the fucking best voice actor ever. Unfortunately, yes, we did get Dagashikashi season two. Because uh, that was all I pretty much fucking got out of it. Um, oh my god. I really did... I did not care for it. I, he got not one ounce of sympathy it, from me. And when he fell off that balcony, it was the circle of fucking life. Now get the in, fuck in, off my in, in defense to Todd, not even renowned Seiyu Jun Fukuyama could sell me that math can kill That's and control right. the he world. That's right. He voiced Namakashi. I forgot he voiced Namakoshi. Yeah. Uh, oh, oh, I forgot it was Fukuyama. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Also, I spent the whole series looking for Todd Habercorn, and then Steph was like, oh no, he doesn't come in until episode 8. You and tricked I was like, me, oh. bitch! <laughs> Fuck. I was like, forget it. I'm so out of this at this point. I was like, you just noped me the fuck out, Todd Habercorn. Congratulations. I'm taking a shot. Oh, God. All right, and how about you, Jen? How did you Okay, so this was another one of those points of the show where I was really, really big, like... On the one hand, I did think Namakoshi's backstory was kind of interesting. Like, I kind of liked how that was directed. Uh, but everything about his motivations and the whole math thing was really weird and dumb. Uh, That's the <laughs> downside of Namakoshi's character. Like, the backstory, it's It's tragic a tragic, compelling... It's... I understand how this can create a villainous mastermind. It's the motivation. It's all the, it's the how he does it. It's... The, the motivation is clearly there. Backstory. The motivation <laughs> is completely there. The execution is just yeah, it's, it's, it's not. Yeah, okay, yeah. It's not quite Todd's Todd's everything didn't give me any like I gave no shits yeah. about him. I didn't care that he was getting beat up by all the bullies because I felt like his maybe not the lack of emotion because I feel like he tried to put question. as much emotion as called okay, for uh, by the character but i just i felt no i, I felt have a nothing question. for I, have a question. Uh, I, yes. I i didn't actually finish oh oops, you know? sorry 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 <laughs> i apologize jet, jet i'm really first. sorry it's, uh, okay. everybody's jumping in jet finish but how do you feel that's okay it's okay uh, as for todd's performance like i thought he did really good with the younger version as, a, as for the older version, like, like I don't know if it's just being me because it's been a while since I've seen the show, but I kind of remember the voice sounding a little bit lighter. So I was kind of weird. I was kind of weird enough that Todd went big boy voice for the role, and it kind of felt a little bit weird. 
I mean, yeah, I mean, kind of see what you're saying. I mean, other than that, it was fine, but it, uh, that just kind of weirded me out a little. Yeah. Andrew, what was your question? Uh, I was going to say to Gigi, are you talking about that Todd took you out of the character, or just the story of Namakoshi took you out of the? Ca- no, it was actually Todd really? took me out because okay. I I felt zero compassion and emotion, and from him, and therefore I felt zero empathy. I just, I felt absolutely nothing. I said, get the fuck off the balcony. I was like, hurry up, because I got Well, you got your wish. I I know, thank God. I I feel like the part of the problem might have, with with Todd's performance that could have been affected, is Namakoshi's character. Yeah. I feel like because, I feel, yeah, like, part of the stuff that Namakoshi goes through and the execution of what he does, unfortunately, didn't make for a really good character for Todd to play. (laughs) So that's just but the drawback. If you want to create a sympathetic villain, you can give him a backstory to make him feel very sympathetic. And you take out all the murder by math, take it out, okay? So this kid's getting beat up by his parents and getting beat up by some bullies. There's something to be said for the emotion that the actor has to put into this character's mouth that would make me feel for him. And I just, I didn't. I was like, this kid's going to murder me with, like, a hanging zero or something. Like, why is this a thing? Okay. Okay. Interesting point. Interesting point. So, consensus definitely sounds like... He's right. There are parts... (laughs) It's all right. It seems like there are parts of Taz's performances that were fine. But I think the big thing that comes down to is Namakoshi's character that might have been a hindrance in his performance, really. Yeah, basically. Yeah. So, let's move on. We're down to three characters. We're going to talk about Hashiba. Uh, oh, we're going on to Hashiba <laughs> first. Okay. Yeah, it's ha- it was Hashiba first we're going to. You were thinking we were going to talk about Akachi, didn't you? No, we're not. Uh, we're going to talk about Hashiba. So Hashiba is a friend and classmate of Kobayashi's um, who kind of kind of gets dragged into everything by Kobayashi only because Hashiba's rather protective and he's a really good friend to Kobayashi. Okay. Um, he's also a rich, Drop he's the also friend a rich act. kid. Drop the friend act. He, Let's yeah, not get <laughs> fucking real here. This kid is hella gay. He, he, is, he, is, he is very, very sexually confused. I don't even think this is confusion. My prediction is is so much better. This is him basically coming. If he's like bi or like bi curious or something, it's totally possible. But this kid, he's. This is his friend, but there is attraction. There is some sort of attraction there. And the show makes it very clear. As a, as a, as a, as a, uh, yeah, I would probably lean towards by given that, that he's very clearly attracted to him being in girls' clothes. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, Hashiba is Hashiba's also this rich kid uh, for this corporation. So, just throwing that out there. Um, in terms of Hashiba's character uh, in Edegawa's work, the only real thing the only real thing I could find was. Um, He's, he is a member of the Boy Detectives Club. Um, that's the only real big thing I can find. Um, though, if we want to make a connection to Trickster... Uh, <laughs> oh, boy. So You're not giving up till you do that Trickster episode, huh? 
I don't think it's ever happened in the, at this point, the Trickster episode. So, Hashiba's character in Trickster equates to um, Kinsuke Hanasaki, if anyone if anyone's watching that show at this point. Um, so, rich kid, part of the Boy Detectives Club, all this kind of stuff. Um, which, before we talk about who voices this character, because this particular voice is one of two that actually essentially replies as the same character in both this show as well as Trickster. But before we get to that, oh. yes. So before we get to that, uh, there are predictions to be had. Um, oh yes. God, I'm looking at mine right now and I'm kicking myself in the ass again. I can't believe we covered Trickster after all. In a sense, we kind of did. <laughs> Gigi. Uh, Here's your trickster episode. We tricked you! Gigi. <laughs> Gigi, uh, you said you had predictions for the two middle schoolers, so you said you had one for Hashiba, right? I did. I have one for Hashiba, and I picked this person because um, he's a very good straight man, and now that Andrew has so nicely mentioned that he pretty much has a little crush on Kobayashi, um, it makes even more sense that I picked this person. In fact, I thought it was this person until I heard the dude whine. Um, I picked our good friend. <laughs> you want to know something funny, JJ? Did you pick him too? He was one of my predictions for Hufflepuff. <laughs> so queen. Yes. So my other two, though, one of them was Aaron Dews. Again, I don't remember why I picked these. I made these predictions like. Couple, almost two years ago at this point. Um, my other two predictions, one was Aaron Dismuke, and the third one, which actually was my first choice, kicking myself in the ass for this. Um, and, I'll, and I'll explain why in a minute, because it's a funny connection. So, my first choice for Hashiba was Austin Tyndall. Now, okay. Austin Tyndall, yeah. he's not in Rampo Kitan, but he is in Trickster. As the voice of Kobayashi. <laughs> what? When I was making... Here's the thing. Here's the thing. When I was making predictions for Trickster, and I listened to Kobayashi, the voice sounded familiar. And I looked at the voice act, the seiyu up. The seiyu is also Deku from My Hero Academia. Fucking what? <laughs> Because of this, because of this, my trickster predictions, I had predicted Justin Briner to be Kobayashi. Fucking what? Lo and behold, not only was I wrong that he was Kobayashi, Justin Briner plays Kinsuke Hanazaki for trickster, which, if you remember, links to... Um, Hashiba. So, Justin Briner voices Hashiba from Rampokitan. Are we actually covering <laughs> Trickster? What the fuck? I think this is the Trickster episode in disguise. <laughs> what the <laughs> fuck? Holy it's shit. It's just weird. The, 
the, it's just so weird. The predictions I made for Rumpelkitan, somehow some of them are like in Trickster. <laughs> and some of the ones I did for Trickster somehow are in Rumpelkitan. I'm like, what the fuck is this? Um, but anyway, Justin Briner. A few other roles that you might know him for. Aside from Trickster, because that's actually one of the three I wrote down. Um, you've also heard him in 91 Days, as well as Sarah for the End, and a few others. Uh, so, and Deku. How do we... uh, you, uh, you pretty much spoiled Deku already. True. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, how do we feel about Justin Briner's performance of Hashi? Ha! Gay! <laughs> God damn it! What the fuck? Sounds like Josh Greeley, except when he whines. Then it's all Briner, because Briner is a great whiner. Oh, <laughs> oh my god! That one's free, Justin! It is. Briner is a great whiner. Put that on all uh, your business cards. I know. Put that on a t-shirt. You should. <laughs> you don't even have to pay me for all it. All right. Anyways. You might, I, I you, might, uh, you might say that Justin spends a lot of time thirsting. <laughs> God damn it. Oh. Somehow there was somebody, there was somebody in the show thirstier than Black Lizard. <laughs> Anyways, Justin Briner does Hashima. a good job as being the protective best friend in air quotations. And he is does a good job at being this kind of naggy but sincere and really well-meaning character who's got a little more under the surface aside from being the whiny rich kid. And I think he does a good job. He's really fucking gay. <laughs> I mean, more wow. power to him. I mean, if he's coming to that stage where he's discovering himself as a teenager, that's an awkward phase. But you know what? If he's comfortable with that and comes to terms with that part of himself, good on him. Congratulations. They're gonna fuck. Okay. You need to stop the awkward pause. You keep making me think the audio cuts. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, I, I'm really I good thought, at keeping the anticipation. <laughs> God damn. Gigi, Gigi, you were starting to go over your thoughts about Justin. How do you feel about Justin? Well, I thought he was very passionate. So as in comparison with Todd, like, especially when they were up on the balcony yeah. and he was like, Superman and Kobayashi to come back to, you know, his phone booth after it was all over with. Um, I felt it from Justin Briner. So no matter what, like, he his character had a horrible backstory. It was just boring as fuck. Nobody cared. And he still brought the passion and the empathy mm. that he needed to make people resonate with the character. So in that sense, I mean... Good on ya, Justin Briner. I really like him. I think he's really... I know I say Justin Briner is a whiner, but that's just how I differentiate all his characters because when they whine, ooh, he whined good. Justin Briner, he was... Mm -hmm. Yeah, you kind, I'm done. you kind of get to see Justin play around with Hashima's character and let it grow a bit. Because in the beginning, he's like the spineless wimp of a friend. By the midway point, he kind of becomes this center focal point in keeping, like, Akachi, both Akachi and Kobayashi, um, kind of in check and in line to an extent. 
and you do get to see him kind of play around a bit more in the on the detective front because again with the, with episode six and those scenarios that they go through the ones that at the end of each one shadow man ends up dead <laughs> um you get a chance to see hashiba like put his smarts out there um and that was kind of fun and refreshing and then by the end because the big comparison here that ends up being made is Akachi's relationship to Namakoshi. Akachi kind of sees their friendship similar um, in Hashiba and Kobayashi. So having Justin portray those last little bits of Hashiba um, going to rescue Kobayashi at the clock tower and all this stuff, he really pulled off that little bit of cowardice, but he also had that little... It, that little push of courage in order to be reckless because Hashiba he's kind of a bit uptight I guess you can say and he wouldn't like really do something crazy and dangerous just to risk his life over something but by the end he actually decides to kind of go nuts and just risk his life to, in order to save his best friend so to kind of see Justin go make that transition from kind of tight not tight, um, a kind of uptight, tight ass. tight ass, yeah, this tight ass character to at least a little more relaxed with everything going on and understanding the situation. It's a really smooth transition for Justin to portray, and I really like that a lot. Patient. I did not okay. forget. <laughs> <laughs> I did not forget. And the reason I broke that now I is just... because I wanted to mention that Black Lizard totally calls... Kobayashi is boyfriend, and that is actually a thing that happens. That is a thing that happens. <laughs> I think that was a dumb oh chance, but that's one that I actually kind of liked. Uh, who, who else has thoughts on Justin Briner's character? I guess it's just me. Uh... No. Yes. <laughs> I mean, while I like Justin Briner, he's always been good in like, pretty much everything I've heard of him, and this is kind of more of the same for him. As I, as I, but he but he played the character really well. It's kind of interesting. It's, it's kind of interesting seeing him do thirsty, but uh, he does thirsty quite well. <laughs> God bless you, Jen. Remember, remember, guys. It's not thirsty. It's flirty. No, he's not even flirty. He's just, just flustered. Remember. Flirty's the other one. I mean, sometimes that's flirty. That's Moe flirt. <laughs> it's Moe flirt. What the Moe hell? Moe flirt is blushy. <laughs> God damn it. Oh, we need gosh, to put sorry. this in Dark Star. <laughs> <laughs> shit! Somebody math that How shit out. How to get the gay. <laughs> what the fuck? Okay. Okay. It's in the go. numbers. The numbers! What do they mean? <laughs> don't, don't, don't say the numbers. I know the right ones. I know the equation. Let's move on before I make a sixty-nine joke. Oh, it just came out of my mouth. Oh, oh there's another joke. Let's keep going. <laughs> and the consensus is, it looks, despite the sounds of it, we really like Justin. Gigi, you really gotta body, take your but... pills, you know. <laughs> I did right before <laughs> I started recording. Oh my god. <laughs> I do want to at least say one thing, since we've been having so many comparisons to the Trickster. I prefer Justin's performance of Hashiba compared to Hanazaki. Hanazaki's a douche nugget. 
<laughs> He's a big old bag of dicks. <laughs> so annoying. If I've learned nothing in this episode, it says I probably want to go watch Trickster. You probably do just for the hell of it. Anyway, let's talk about our uh, genius detective, Kogoro Akachi. So Kogoro Akachi, he's essentially, because again, Edogawa Rumpo wasn't, it loves Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and Sherlock Holmes. Akachi's basically the Sherlock Holmes for this The universe. boy detective. Um, he's the boy detective, the genius detective, um, very good at sleuthing, very intelligent, uh, good, good fighter, martial artist. Um, but he's also very, I don't want to say stoic is... I don't want to say stoic. That's not the right word. Distant. Uh, deadpan? Uh, distant. Distant deadpan. Yeah, he's <laughs> not... He doesn't really become too emotional that often. Or if any, really. He doesn't really have any reason to show emotion. He kind of is more analytical and thinks that's much better than being He emotional. loses his cool um, when he's around pussy. ba da ba ba da ba And babies. <laughs> and babies. Babies like him, though. Babies like him, though. Um, what else did I write down about Akachi? Uh, also, he's good at yeah, karate, but he doesn't have the actual muscle mass to really pull off yeah. the big techniques. Yeah. Which so, I thought was uh, interesting. The big things like, yeah, that was interesting. So, the big things I kind of wrote about Akachi that were kind of sim that are essentially the big things that are similar to um, Akachi for um, the actual book series... Again, genius detective, he's similar to Sherlock Holmes. He's the one who actually creates the Boy Detectives Club. Okay, I figured. Anyone want to know about the story of the strange tale of Panorama Island? Uh, sure. A little, because that was a weird one. That was a weird one in this show. So, so there is a tie-in to Akachi, and I'll explain what that is in a second. Um, so, the strange tale of Panorama Island, um, in the actual animates episodes 7 to 8, um, where a murder is discovered on this island that's being, that's having this huge construction going on for an adult amusement park, um, where basically the owner and the art producer are murdered by a bunch of huge-ass mannequin dolls falling on them. It's basically <laughs> what the story is there. So, The Strange Tale of Panorama Island, the actual story... This, it's the story of Hitomi, whom, first of all, connection number one, Hitomi's the name of the art producer um, in the show. Mm -hmm. um, the Hitomi of the actual novel, he's a struggling novelist um, who, writes, who writes a story about getting wealthy and creating a paradise. Now, he's told by... Uh, he's told that his wealthy boarding school friend, Komoda... Which, connection number two, Komoda is the rich owner of Panorama Island mm -hmm. in the show. Yes. Um, in the novel, Komoda has passed away. So Hitomi impersonates Komoda and gains his fortune because he's has a strong, he's, he's like, a, I guess, a strong lookalike. He has very strong resemblance to him. Um, he manages to convince a family advisor after gaining Komoda's wealth. Um, to build this amusement park on this island um, called Panorama Island. Komoda's wa uh, widow, Chiyoko, which Chiyoko, um, the connection is actually made here. You don't actually hear her referred to by her first name. 
She is the individual who murdered both Hitomi and Komoda in the series. Hmm. Which, side note, that's Michaela Krantz's character. I did not know that was her, and she's always sounding different every time I hear her. It's interesting. I like her. The widow Chiyoko learns of the deception, um, but she is murdered before the park is complete. Uh, Hitomi is later visited by a detective named Koguro Kitami. Uh. Keyword, Koguro Kitami. Koguro Akachi. Mm. Mm-hmm. And he's actually found mm. out. But before he's actually arrested, Hitomi uh, commits suicide. Um, the park itself is actually rather interesting. Something that it included was actually man-made landscapes that dotted that were dotted with statues and frolicking attractive people. Which kind of made me think about those large mannequins in that big room in the show. Um, so, fun little fact, a little background for Panorama Island in case people are curious. Cool! Um... So, predictions uh, for Akachi. I'm the only one who did. I, ha- I I used three. Yep. I used I I picked three people. Two of them I don't remember why, um, and they were Clifford Chapin was my first choice, probably for something different because this is a different character than you normally that I've normally seen him play. Austin Tindall was an obvious choice for me too. But here's the funny one. This is the and this is my justification for this. This third one. So, while watching the show, the character designs and everything, a lot of it reminded me, again, of Shiki. Akashi's character design in particular reminded me of the lead from Shiki. And then I also made the connection. Oh shit! This voice actor also voiced a genius detective named Jimmy Kudo at one point. In case closed. <laughs> so my third prediction for Agachi, I picked Jerry Jewel for this reason. <laughs> oh Jesus! Because the character design and the demeanor of Agachi reminded me of um, Natsuno Yuki from Shiki, but also the genius detective bit was like Jimmy Kudo. Holy shit! Let's go. <laughs> um, in actuality. What ended up happening here, and again, similar to Justin Briner, um, this voice actor crosses over into Trickster and is the Akachi of that world as well. We have Mr. Eric Vale as Akachi. Um, Kanade! Wiener, 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 wiener. Put that away, young lady! Uh, a few other roles you've heard Eric Vale in that are at least moderately similar to this, um, like I just mentioned, he's the Akachi for Trickster as well. Uh, he's also in Tokyo Ghoul as well as Noragami. Um, thoughts on the on Eric Vale's performance of Akachi for Rompo Kitan? If I had a problem with any character, this would be the one. Um, the very first time we hear him, the very first episode, I was like, holy crap, this is some like 28-year-old police detective guy who smokes three packs of cigarettes a day and i was like then they were like oh no he's 17 and i was like bitch please this motherfucker ain't 17 shut the fuck up um but the funny thing about it is as the series progresses instead of him sounding the same or similar or even older like getting more experience and more maturity I think it goes backwards. Like the more the series goes on, I feel like he regresses into the 17 year old 
that he's supposed to be playing. So I thought that was a really interesting character progression. Okay. I don't know if it was on purpose or if it was just something that I heard, but I had a huge problem with uh, uh, as him at the beginning of the series. And by the end, I was a-okay with it. Uh, uh, it's uh, it's kind of interesting you mentioned that because I'm kind of familiar with the person who played him in Japanese, uh, Takahiro Sakurai. And uh, he has a pretty deep voice too, so I wasn't that weirded out that kind of Yeah, thing yeah that no, too. Takahiro Sakurai is has a very deep, distinct voice. He's played the he's played yeah. the likes of Levi and Rohan. Also, your favorite Wrong! Guy. Wrong! Oh, he is not Levi in Attack on Why Titan. This is the second mistake? time you Shit. fucked this up. Yeah, like, like because fuck he's this up the, again. Like, no, it's because that's the one who made who who Takahiro Sakurai actually plays. <laughs> God. Fuck. It's not like his old friend Bigulus. Fuck you! <laughs> <laughs> and again, this is the second time we have to bring this up again. Why do I keep making that mistake? Uh. <laughs> will we will, will we see a third time? Who knows? Only time will tell. Anyway, Jet, can you finish up your thoughts on um Eric Vale? Because I know you're kind of going on a little bit. That's I uh, okay. Well, yeah, as I said before, I'm kind of familiar with Takiro Sakurai, so I wasn't too surprised by the performance Eric Vale went for here. I was kind of a little surprised it was Eric Vale and not someone more obvious like I don't know. Uh, I don't know, man. Oh yeah, Christopher Bevins is who I was probably thinking of. Uh, but, uh, I, I mean, but I was pretty happy with him. I like Eric Bale a lot. He's usually very good at what he does, and Eric Bale was very good at what he did here. I, I mean, I didn't care yeah. too much for the character himself, but it, and it was a fine performance. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny. And now that Gigi said it was kind of like a regression, it makes a, much, a lot more sense to me, because I had... Here's the thing. I have been watching Trickster before watching the dub for Rumpelkiton. Now, Eric Vale's performance of the Akashi and Trickster makes a hell of a lot more sense than when you look at it here for Rumpelkiton. Now, but when Gigi said he's basically regressed from, like, this stoic, like, smokes five packs a day kind of guy into an actual 17-year-old, it makes a lot of sense, honestly. Because what that kind of makes me think and comes down to, Akachi has always kind of been on his own. And especially solving these 20 faces cases after the first 20 faces that being Namakoshi three years before the series happens. So, going from doing this on his own, being the stoic character, like, I don't want to work with anyone, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to take, I'm going to take care of this myself, I want to, like, finish this entire mess and then bringing in he brings in Kobayashi and Hashiba and a bunch of other things happen throughout the course of the series he does kind of soften up a bit and he regresses he, he, he kind of by the end Eric Vale is convincingly much more of a 17 year old than he was in the beginning because I had a few iffy I had a few problems in, in the beginning too but by the end I was perfectly fine with it so, mm -hmm. I like there were po like there were points. I, I wrote the sound when I finished the show. Actually, there were points where I didn't quite believe that he was a seventeen-year-old, but towards the towards the final episodes, I could see those slight shifts a lot more. Um, and it was also good to have at points for him to kind of 
relax the character a little bit. <laughs> um, going back to episode six, where he's not a he's Akichi's not a fan of cats and kids, and. Hmm. He, there were points during the episode where he kind of almost became the grumpy old guy, like, who, who yells at clouds and tells kids to get off his lawn. Because <laughs> he's just like, guys, get out. <laughs> get out of my house. I don't want this cat. This baby's not mine. Get Shadow Man and his goddamn bomb out of my house. <laughs> so, it was good to see him kind of have those moments where he could relax a little bit. Um, but yeah, now that Gigi said it kind of was like a regression, it makes a lot more sense in my mind. Like, especially with his interactions, boys. especially with his interactions it's... with Kobayashi and Hashiba towards the end. It makes, it definitely makes the, per yep. the performance make a lot more sense to me now. All right. So I'm glad you actually brought that up. Look, boys, I said, s I said something smart. I'm not just a pretty face. Now it's, Andrew, now it's time for this pretty Andrew, space to steal the show. I'll say this. Um, <laughs> I'd say this is a very much more su subdued Eric Vale performance than what like yes. I usually see. Because Eric Vale is a person that very much is eccentric and can chew the scenery like, like easy. But this is really where he kind of has to just sound really a lot calmer. And it's it almost like as soon as you brought up the regression thing, it's like he's trying to sound older than he actually is. And then as the series actually gets on, he shows a little more of that like vulnerable, youngish, youngish persona in himself. And mm. I do think it's interesting to hear Vale in a much more calm I'm really trying to figure out how I'm trying to say this. Basically, he's much more down to earth and a little more on his toes compared to fluttering around owning the scene. Makes I sense. think it works for the character, so it didn't bug me too much, but I could definitely see having problems with it early on. Yeah, uh, again, it took a little bit for me to get into it a bit. By the end, I was perfectly fine with it's it. It's like, I think Akechi is an interesting character, but he, by no stretch of the words, he's not the one I real, I'm i really here to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Is, is it basically time? Is, is that what you're saying? Yeah, it's it's time. time, Lilac. Steph. Steph. Oh, boy. I've been waiting for this. This is the one I <gasps> so... really want to talk about. Shit. So general consensus. Shit, I need to get some get water for this. Hang on. <laughs> so the general consensus for Eric. <laughs> the general consensus. Too many wieners. Oh wiener, 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 wiener. Uh, the general consensus for Eric Vale's Akachi. Um, definitely rough. A little rough in the beginning, but it came out perfectly fine in the end. And again, what Gigi said. Now that you, now that she said it, it makes total sense. <laughs> I'm like, this is a little bit yes. weird to me. So, makes so much sense. I'm the queen, GG. No one defeats me. <laughs> JJ right, did nothing right. wrong, but aside from JJ being the best, Steph, please. Yes. <laughs> the show must go on. Oh. We're on our final character of the night. Um, 
So we've been talking about this. We've we've brought the name of this this of this character quite a bit. Um, but let's actually talk about this character now. Um, we're gonna talk about Kobayashi. Kobayashi. The boys love him. The girls want to be him. And psychos fucking envy what he is. What the fuck is this character? <laughs> <laughs> so to give context for the Kobayashi of this of this series here, um, Kobayashi is in middle school. He's not really interested in much of anything. He's not interested in the people around him. He's not interested in school or anything else that goes on. But when he suddenly becomes a suspect in a murder case, which I kind of want to touch upon in a minute here, um, he the, all of a sudden it's like color is flooded into his world, and his life, in his own way, his own way of putting it, it suddenly has meaning. It's very exciting. It's not boring anymore. So he's introduced to Akachi. He convinces Akachi to be his to let him be his assistant um and things essentially go from there um and akachi he is a boy he is a boy just <laughs> so you know <laughs> i legitimately <laughs> think this character is totally i think this character is what you would call actually non-binary because i legitimately think he could pull off being the boy and just being the girl, like, just whatever day he f- he feels like it. Because, because there's just some times where he's like, I'll wear some pants. Sometimes, I'll wear a dress. And that, by the way, c- before we continue with that, that is the fucking dress Menba wears! It looks like <laughs> the dress oh, no, Menba no! wears! Oh my god! I'll You're show right. you side oh by side! God. I want you to tell me I'm not wrong! This was oh something god. I thought oh about god. the first time I saw it when I watched it subbed. Because fucking look at it! And then fucking look at Menba! It's the same <laughs> fucking dress! Look at it! While you're... Look at it! Oh <laughs> my god! <laughs> Holy it's shit. the same dress. <laughs> okay, so while Andrew is uh, going on a strange conniption fit here, um, I want the world to know, know Lilac. <laughs> <laughs> Just to give context as to Kobayashi's character in um the Boy Detectives Club novels, um, so Kobayashi. Uh, in the novel series, he is Akashi's assistant. He's actually the leader of the Boy Detectives Club. Um, and speaking of dressing as a woman, so Kobayashi is a master of disguise, but particularly as posing as a woman. So, okay. there you go. There okay. you go. Oh, oh. Um, okay, okay, yeah. okay, like of all the character translations, that makes the most sense to me. <laughs> that one makes a lot of sense, yeah. Yep. So hence why um, for Rompo Kitan he, he has more of a feminine look to him. He looks like an actual girl in a dress. That's that's why. He's a master of disguise. Um, mostly as female though. Um, as for the case he got dragged into um, 
So, the human chair. Uh, that's the first... That basically covers the first two episodes of the, of the series. So, the human chair is actually one of the more well-known stories in um, Rampo Edegawa's um, repertoire. So, it's one of his short stories. And the story... I actually looked into the summary of this. So, the story is there's this woman who who's a novelist and she's writing and everything sitting in this chair. She finds a letter um, from a, a chair maker. A, a chair maker, essentially. And the letter is a confession of his crimes because he created a sofa that he can actually fit into. Uh, he has Ooh. he has a supply of food and water in there as well. Uh, during the day, because the sofa ended up being bought out by this hotel. So, during the day, he enjoyed being sat on by hotel patrons. What? Yeah, and at night, he would go and rob guests in their rooms. The sofa, uh, eventually, once, I guess, new management comes into the hotel and things start changing, they get rid of the sofa... And it's moved to an, a political official's house and is used by his wife. The wife is the woman who is the novelist who finds the letter. So, of course, she kind of freaks the fuck out. Um, but at the end of the letter, it's there's a possibility that it could have been a prank. Um, because at the end of the letter, the, the, person, the chairmaker, quote-unquote, who wrote it, um, he actually states that he's an author. Um, and that the story is made up. That's what he insists on. Um, but <coughs> from what I gather, the the end of that that short story is actually kind of more left open ended as to whether or not if it was an actual prank or if this is actually real. This one's um, very real. This is very real. Um, I know it's not a hundred percent true to the actual human chair story we see in the series. Um, but one of the strong comparisons that I found was this whole theme of beauty. Like, because the sofa that was made in the short story, the chairmaker saw it as his masterpiece, as his masterwork. Um, and in the show, quite literally, the chairs are made of human women. Of female women, quite literally. Um, and each one of them, he, he kind of reveres them as... A masterpiece or this very beautiful thing so there's that whole theme of beauty that kind of interlinks between the two in a sense um, but in terms of predictions for Kobayashi um, well first of all definitely pegged a girl playing Kobayashi Same. and under any normal circumstance my uh, boy voice or girl voicing a boy character voice actress would go to Morgan Berry however um, I could not get behind Morgan Berry voicing this character for some reason. I think because I'm used to her playing more of the um, tomboyish mm. yeah. kind of characters. And this one most definitely was not. Um, so I actually picked, and I don't know what her name is, sorry. Um, but it's the girl who voices the blue-haired kid from Assassination Club. Oh, that would be oh Lindsay Seidel. Seidel. That was who I wanted. Yep. Yes. Funny story. That was my first choice. Lindsay Seidel was my first choice. 
Um, yes. I think this was because I was making predictions around the time when I was watching the dub for Assassination Classroom, and I loved her performance for Nagisa, so I was like, I think this would be a perfect fit here. I also put Leah Clark and Brina Palencia in here too, though Brina was my default. Um, I really had wanted Lindsay to do this though. Um, but the person who actually voices Kobayashi, and I'm a mix of happy and sad Jamal's not here today <laughs> for this. Because <laughs> when we talked about Fuka, there was some fangirling going on. Um, because the person who voices Kobayashi is Miss Jill Harris. No, why do you do this to me? I'll never see you the same way again. <laughs> so, uh, a few other roles that you might have seen Jill Harris in. You've seen her in Orange. You've seen her in Planetarian. And just briefly how I, what I mentioned, um, she's also in Fuka as the title character of Fuka. Um, so how do we feel about Miss Jill Harris and her performance of Kobayashi? I've got a thing to say. I have many uh, things to say, <laughs> but I'm not sure a lot of it is really of the performance itself. It's just how batshit fucking loony tune this fucking kid is. Yeah. Like, in any other show, this kid would be a villain. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it, going back to the whole... Akachi seeing Kobayashi and Hashiba's friendship being similar to Akachi and Namikoshi. Kobayashi would be the Namikoshi in this situation. <laughs> it's for sure. I mean, the parallel is literally pa that they're standing parallel to each other, and it's just God. like this kid. I think is bad. Is that oh? My life got really fun as soon as I was framed for murder and tried understanding yep. things. And just as yep. he's talking so nonchalantly about, so I think I was chloroformed because I was trying to be lured in by my teacher who was going to kill Omi and turn me into a chair because he had fallen in love with me. And the reason that yep. I was framed for his murder is because the girl he fell out of love with was really jealous of me because he fell in love with me. I understand how you feel. You really wanted to be close with him. That's why you wanted to be his chair. And then you turned him into your chair. And you wanted him so close. I understand you now. It's like, what the fuck are you doing? talking about what <laughs> yeah kobayashi's character is a little bit tricky to talk about because um, kobayashi is just not interested in jack all and he's so oblivious to the fact that his he's really i don't know if he's doing it intentionally or not no 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 no, no. sometimes i feel like it's intentional like it's like, I almost feel like some of it is too bladed, where it's like, are, are you trying to get your friend's attention? Or it's like, what is attention to you? It's like, even, even, the f even like when he's kind of on the edge, and Hashima's legitimately crying about how selfish it was for him to do that and leave him behind, it's like, to... I yeah. never want to let go, and now he's kind of like rubbing the tears away. It's like that—that's not a dudes being bros thing. That is not. 
But I don't know no. if he cares enough or if he's just totally down to fuck whatever. I I can't understand I mean, this psycho child no. androgynous non-binary s i n n cinnamon roll. What <laughs> is he? What is this person? Jill Harris does a good job, though, at being this feminine, androgynous psychopath of pure joy and crazy to me. Jill um, Harris does a good job. I, I like the... I think you all have different words, but I'm totally cool with this character sounding completely feminine. Because I kind of subscribe to the idea that Kobayashi is this non-binary character that can totally pull off being a male that is just extremely feminine so the fact that the voice is extremely feminine doesn't particularly bug me too much okay um it's okay as for me like uh it's okay it's okay so when it comes to females voicing dudes like i kind of get really particular about that it's like, okay well as you know i know at this point given my endless series about Brittany Krabowski's black star uh, <laughs> I'll fight you. Yeah, that's a story in and of itself, right there. I'm gonna fight okay. you on that still. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So okay. So when I was hearing uh, Jamal go on about like how feminine this sounded, I was kind of like really hesitant to hear it. Okay. And when I first heard it, I like like I kind of was what he was talking about. Like it did sound very feminine, and it was. And this was a little bit off-putting, uh, but I think, but I think, like as Andrew said before, it does kind of match what the character is going for. Like the character is kind of supposed to be a little bit feminine, more than just a kind little of bit, I guess. <laughs> oh, okay, I say a little bit in like quotation marks, but that's okay. But okay, but for the most part, I think it works. Like I think it can sound a little bit more androgynous, but it does more or less match the character, so it's fine. And, it, and, and Jill Harris certainly does a good job of signing creepy, so I definitely have to give her props for that. <laughs> yeah, I think I had a similar problem where, like, in the beginning, because um, obviously this is the first time I've ever heard Jill Harris play a little boy before. Um, I, of course, I didn't know how it sounded, and then when I heard Kobayashi speak for the first time, it sounded way too feminine for me. There wasn't any kind of hint of masculinity. So I had a little bit of a problem with it in the beginning, but as the show went on, and um, the more I got to hear and see Kobayashi, <laughs> it ended up working in the end. It's like, I feel if this was, as Gigi said, she usually roots Morgan Berry to be the uh, boyish -ish girl, like girlish, boyish kind of characters. This is not... A masculine performance and that's yeah. why i appreciate that context that the character yeah. did like actually was a cross-dresser and did that because this it's that bit works for this particular thing and this is a full-on completely androgynous non-binary devil child teasing psychopath with a apparently more than substantial okay there's literally a part in Hashiba's mind where he's standing on top of his giant ass that is a thing huh? that happened that I did not remember and I was like wait what cause there's like actually a moment <laughs> in the show when he's 
staring at it. Yeah. And he's flustered. <laughs> it's like, it's really... In- <laughs> the show, it's really... Yeah. He, here's my thing. In my defense, um, in terms of Hashiba... I, this is the first, my watch of the dub recently was actually the first time that I've seen the show since I watched the simulcast while it was airing a couple years ago. So it, it had been a while since I've seen Kobayashi and how he acts in the show and all this stuff. So, personally, in my defense, I think it would just, the performance in the beginning was jarring to me because I, the part that I remember while watching the show was that Kobayashi was a boy and dressed up as a girl to help out Shadow Man. Because the only reason why Kobayashi dressed up as a girl to begin with was um, to help Shadow Man find Sachiko and the indirect Watsunuki. So he ends up getting his ass kidnapped as a girl. Um, but, but after that, I had completely forgotten that Kobayashi would sometimes occasionally just wear the dress for no apparent reason other than, I kind of like wearing the dress. <laughs> So I forgot about that. <laughs> I forgot about that part. So the more I kind of got, the more I kind of got reacquainted with the show again, the more the performance made much more sense with Jill being much more of a feminine boy rather than the tomboy. Um, but my larger problem is with Kobayashi's character more than anything. Do tell. Mostly because it's like, I understand this kid is not interested in anything. He's not interested in school. He's not interested in anything. He's bored out of his goddamn mind. He has a really weird way of showing it. Uh, because hmm. I remember, I remember there was one point. This is actually shortly after the Panorama Island incident, where, um. Kobayashi just asks Hashiba out of nowhere something about would you something would something you about avenge where my the end death? Result, Kobayashi was dead. Yes. Would you avenge would you my avenge death? Me? Basically, or would you avenge my death, or would you just let me die? And Hashiba was like, "The hell are you talking about? I would make sure. I would try to do what I can to make sure you don't even die to begin with." <laughs> And Kobayashi's not thrilled with the answer, because he's just like, oh, come on, it's a theoretical, que- theoretical question, just answer my question. And Hashiba's like, no, I'm not going to answer your question, because there's n- no reason why I want to see you die. Which, which later on, a little bit later on, because um, in that same episode, we finally learn about Akachi and his connection to Namikoshi. Um, Akachi tells Hashiba... I think you may. I think you said the right answer that you would stop him from trying to die. So Kobayashi, he's an interesting character in how he sees the world, but sometimes it just comes across. It as seems like, too eerily as, sadistic. Yeah. yeah, I think that's my problem. <laughs> It's like, it's, it, there's problem. a difference between being kind of carefree and thrilled with, like, the challenge of solving these mysteries, and then there's this kind of strange sadism to him, yeah. and it's really off 
off-putting for what is supposed to be the main character. It's definitely, it's definitely different, makes for a different kind of main character. Made him, and one that stuck with me, because even in the sub, I'm like, what the fuck? But especially now that I watched <laughs> yep. it again for a second time doing this stuff, I'm still like, what the fuck? Though, the Jill, again, the Jill's credit, though... To me, it was a little rough to start with because I was getting reacquainted with the and show. And then you learned that this is not a top boy. This is a femme boy, yeah. and Jill is cute and adorable. Yep. And she, it, you would not assume from her sweet, dainty little voice that this is a fucking crazy kid. Definitely one of the more... Because you... I think this is the first time I've honestly really seen Jill play a crazy kid to this extent. So... It's because she she just has to do her shtick, and the character himself is just nuts. Yeah, it's uh, like, he, he doesn't yeah. go insane, he just is insane. Oh my god, Gigi, how do you feel about Jill okay. Harris? That's fine. Jill Harris creeps me the fuck out. Good for you, Jill <laughs> Harris. I'll never think of Naho the same way again. <laughs> okay. I mean, seriously, like, the first, the first episode, like going back to where she's like, you know, and then the teacher was in love with me. I like sat there and stared at my TV and I was like, the fuck bitch, <laughs> sit the fuck down. How you know that? And then I was like, oh, oh, this kid's insane. And then once I realized that insanity was on the table, everything else was off of it. So it was very jarring and very creepy to hear this light melodic voice come out of this kid who's batshit fucking crazy, who wants to just jump off the bridge. And, you know, he was like on the balcony, okay, well, it's time for me to die. I was like, no, 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 no. We didn't come 11 episodes for you to jump off this goddamn balcony, motherfucker. Now I'm done. Yep. Jill Harris is great. You really creeped me out. I'll never think of Naho as, like, the sweetest girl in the history of life again. And also, um, you deserve some kind of award for this. <laughs> the end. All right, Andrew, what were you going to say before we move on to final thoughts for the show? Okay. <clears throat> Kobayashi is totally a power bottom. <laughs> uh, uh. <laughs> and on that note... Um, Kill me. Uh, um, clearly we liked Jill as Kobayashi, though it may have taken a minute, um, only because of the character. Uh, but... <laughs> Overall thoughts, overall final thoughts on the English dub for Rumble Keaton game of Laplace. Who would like to go first? I think this is a very kind of confused show with a good intention of being mm -hmm. a interpretation of these various Rampo Itagawa stories. I think it's got an interesting aesthetic presentation and i really like this dramatic stage play aspect but i feel it's more of a show than it is a mystery i feel like there's never been a lot of times where i had the chance to really question how and why did this happen it feels like it happens characters do stuff and suddenly they know the answer and i feel like i never really had the chance in the show to solve anything and things just kind of happen before I can even figure out what the clues are. I think okay. it's got a good presentation, 
but it's very jarring in its tones because one minute you're crying over this poor er, man who lost his friend due to a crazy man kidnapping children to a sadomasochistic switch literally pissing herself at being told to drop dead. It's got good intentions, but it's a weird, weird show. But as for the English dub and adaptation, it is very strong. I got to see a lot of different sides of these actors that I don't always get to see every day. And I think they pulled it off and worked with the material very well. Who's next? I guess. Okay, I guess I'm next. Like, uh, okay, like, much like what Andrew said about the dub, I, I mean, I was pretty happy with the dub. It's really solid. Uh, Jerry Jewell did a good job with a lot of the performances. It was nice hearing a different side of some of the actors involved. Uh, as for the show itself, my feelings are kind of like how I feel about the person who directed it, that being Seiji Kishi. Uh, basically, there are a few moments where I can like kind of understand what he's trying to go for, and it can sometimes be interesting. But it's mostly hurt by the same thing that's kind of prevalent in almost everything he does, and that's mainly that he has no idea how to balance humor and serious tone. So the end result just kind of ends up feeling very kind of off. And uh, that's uh, pretty much the same thing here. And it's the same thing I felt about almost everything he's done that is an assassination classroom. So uh, that's basically it for me. <laughs> okay, Gigi, what are your final thoughts on the dub? Um, I actually started watching the show a while ago and I got four episodes in. Um, I think somebody had either recommended it to me or it was a recommendation like off a website or something because I said I want to watch something fucked up and this is what got recommended and I like the, the chair was kind of fucked up and then I, like I got to like episode three or four and I was like oh this isn't really doing it for me I'll just wait until it gets a dub why isn't this getting a dub now I don't understand what the hell's taking so long well uh, I guess what was taking so long is that they wanted to make it really good and really really fucked up because when I went back and watched it just a couple days ago I was like oh okay so this was what I've been waiting for like I don't think I got the tone of oh I was watching Paranoia Agent that's what I was watching but I don't I don't think I got the tone of how fucked up this show was until I heard it in English and I could actually understand the words and get the emotions and the subtleties of these characters and the not so subtleties of these characters through the English dialogue. So I think this show is very strange. It is not for everyone, clearly. It's psychological in the fact that it makes you think an awful lot and then it makes you think too much and you get mad about math. <laughs> um, but that being, math. <laughs> that being said, for a psychological anime that got a dub from what I've seen, I would easily put this in the top three English dubbed psychological anime that I've ever watched easily okay. because the emotions were there for the most part and all the acting for the most part was pretty spot on. So I really, I really got it the second time around. There you go. Um, as for me, cause I kind of wanted to go last this time around. So for people who may not know me, my favorite genre of anything is actually the mystery, horror, psychological genre. Surprise! <laughs> so as you could expect, I've been wanting to do this episode for a long-ass time. 
and I'm very happy we're finally doing it. And, uh, like, the fact that I did extra research on, on Hedekawa Rumpo's work, that ought to say enough of how much I love this genre. Um, just the extra little fun bits I found. The show itself, <laughs> it's not perfect. By no stretch, by any means, it's not perfect. It's meant to be essentially a love letter to Rompo Edegawa and the work that he's done and these stories and these characters that he created um, while he was alive. Because he is one of the big uh, uh, novelist writers who changed how the mystery detective novel was written in Japan. Um, so he's very influential in that regard. Um, so this show, by no means is it a single strong adaptation of a particular work of his. It's just bits and pieces of a bunch of things put together and you're given a show. Um, of course, some parts of it work, some parts of it don't. I have more of the things that don't, unfortunately, come at the end. <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. In terms of the actual dub, though. Similar to basically everyone else and their thoughts here, I think the dub is really solid. It brought, again, it brought out performances from voice actors you never get to see. Um, it brings out certain performances from voice actors you rarely get to see. And it, for me, it brought out one of the best Tatum performances I've seen in a long-ass time, personally. Like, I'm, I don't know if I'm gonna get a flack for saying that for some people, but that's just my personal opinion. I think this is one of Tatum's better performances that I've seen in a long-ass time, and he was phenomenal as Kagami. Um, some, some of the other characters, Jill was great as Kobayashi, despite the character having, giving me problems. I, I liked Justice Hashiba, Mallory as Black Lizard was insane and phenomenal just the entire cast was really solid it was a lot of fun like Gigi said you could understand a lot of the stuff that was going on the little subtleties here there much more in the English so overall really solid really solid dub for a not so solid show um, but it's still still a decent show nonetheless um, with that, I think we're ready to wrap this episode up. Are you guys? Yeah, I definitely am. That was well put. Yeah, I don't like butterflies. This has been torture for the past two and a half hours. Gigi doesn't like animals or fish, period. Which is why we're probably not going to go to the New England Aquarium when you come up for Anime Boston. But anyway. Nope. <laughs> anyway, if you're interested in checking out the Devil Rongpo Keton Game of Laplace yourself, um, there are a couple different ways to watch it. So, as of right now, of course, it is currently out on DVD and Blu-ray. It was released in December of 2016, so you can pick that up from your local retailer, whether it be um, Right Stuff or Funimation, maybe it's at a Best Buy or an FYE if there's still any of those around. Um, so you can find it from a local retailer near you. Um, the other way you can watch the dub as of right now, um, or as of the recording of this episode, is of course with Funimation.com, with their Funimation Now stream, uh, subscription streaming service. Um, in order to watch Rumble Keaton, 
fully, the dub fully, you are going to need a Funimation subscription to do so, because I believe it's the first two to three episodes that are free for users, um, but everything else is under the subscriber paywall. Uh, which, of course, if you wanted to do a 14-day free trial, you are more than welcome to do so. Um, just, again, just of course, as your regular daily reminder here at Dub Talk, if you do want to cancel the subscription service, uh, or you don't want to use it, make sure you cancel it, because when you sign up, it does ask for credit card information. If you don't cancel, it will start pulling money from your account. Um, but, again, as always, like we usually say around here, you're probably going to love the service so much that you won't want to get rid of it. I know all, all of us, <laughs> all of us DubDub crew members, we really like it. Uh, despite flaws here and there, we're not going to get into it. And thank you, sweet baby Jesus, that Hardy's not here. Cause that, that's another, <laughs> that's another, that's another sleeping bear in a cage. I don't want to wake up right now. <laughs> um, as for the four of us, if you're interested in seeing or hearing about anything else that we do, um, if you wanted to follow Jet, you can follow him on Twitter at Divine Nega, uh, as well as, uh, you have a web, a web, a website blog, animationinfinity.com, correct, sir? Yes, I do. All right, beautiful. Um, as for Gigi, you can follow her, of course, on Twitter at AnimePalooza, or on her YouTube page, uh, youtube.com slash AnimePalooza, for fun unboxings and talks about anime and husbandos and stuff. <laughs> as for Andrew, you can... Yes. Yes. As for Andrew, you can follow him on Twitter at MangaMan9000, um, where he just talks about things on a daily basis, mostly My Hero Academia <laughs> related, though. <laughs> Um, only 85%. Only 85%. And uh, as for me, if you want to follow me on Twitter, um, I am at Lilac Anime Review, with review being spelled R-E-V-U-E. I also have a separate personal channel, because um, the Dub Talk channel was formerly my channel, um, but I have a separate uh, personal channel if you want to follow me for stuff on there, even though I'm terrible and haven't uploaded anything since January. But, and this is the first time I get to talk about this. Woo! On recording. Yay! But if you want to follow the Dub Talk Crew shenanigans as a whole, I am proud to say that at the time of recording this episode, the Dub Talk Podcast now has its own Twitter account where you can follow us at Dub Talk Podcast for a bunch of different things, whether it's keeping an eye out for the newest episodes. Um, I think we're trying to do like fun little polls, fun little, uh, just a, I don't know, we're, we're just trying to figure out You may out or what may not even with... help us decide which episodes we will cover. Who's to say? Yep. Yep. But we just started, <laughs> we just started this Twitter account, I think, a couple days ago before recording this episode. Um, so yeah, if you want to follow us at Dub Talk Podcast, you're more than welcome to do so. Um, and with that, I think we're done for the night. That we are. So. Good night. I hope everybody had fun. I'm gonna, uh, I need, I need more spooks in my life. I need more spooks. What kind of spooks can I do right now? Let's go watch Higurashi, guys. Otaku <laughs> on and flutter on. Yay. What the fuck? I hate butterflies. Then how did you watch this show? But I love show. your faces. It's full of butterflies. <laughs> With my eyes half brim. closed. I only had to listen to the English. How the fuck did you make it through the show if Fucking you hate, hate butterflies? butterflies. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Good I don't night. hate butterflies as much as I hate fish. Good night.